I'm Chad Vogelman, and this is the Action Comics Weekly Podcast. Episode 601. Hey everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the Action Comics Weekly Podcast. A podcast lovingly devoted to the DC Comics series of the same name published from 1988 to 1989. I'm your host, Chad Bokelman, and joining me in this new podcasting endeavor will be a rotating cast of semi-regular co-hosts from across the comics podcasting, blogging, and fan community. Now, I'm sure you're asking yourself, why an Action Comics Weekly podcast, and who is this guy anyway? Well, as I said, I'm Chad Bokelman, and I'm one of two co-hosts from The Lantern Cast, a podcast dedicated to Green Lantern that's been on the air for eight years this November. Though myself and my co-host Mark have only been in charge of the show for the last three of those eight years, we've made an effort to expand our podcasting reach and have been graciously offered guest host spots on podcasts like the EMX podcast, the Fire and Water podcast, Give Me Those Star Wars, Just One of the Guys, and the Secret Origins podcast, just to name a few. The latter of which, hosted by my friend Ryan Daly, serves as a strong muse to the idea for and format of this very show. It was actually after guesting on one of Ryan's Secret Origins episodes in November of 2015 that I posed the question to him. How would you recommend we expand our listener base? And his response? Cover something that brings in people who aren't just interested in Green Lantern, like the Action Comics Weekly series. Well, between my spinoff show covering the Green Lantern Green Arrow series of the 1970s, Mark's spinoff covering Hal Jordan's time as the Spectre, and the main episodes of the show in between, I nodded at the idea but kind of laughed it off as a task too great to accomplish anytime soon for our show. Cut to a few weeks later. Now, as with most things, if an idea lodges itself firmly enough in my mind, I feel compelled to produce something concrete. It's why I often write with some flair about some seemingly trivial thought or notion that crossed my mind on a particular day. This idea for a podcast was no different, so I started playing around with some album art and concepts. And the more I played, the more I like it. In fact, it's the album art you see right now for this show. And the more I played around with some of the album art, the more I was compelled to go back into my long boxes and reread some old issues of the comic. And before you know it, Well, you're listening to it now. The Action Comics Weekly Podcast will actually be airing on a bi-weekly basis, that is, once every two weeks. It's for several reasons, but mostly to keep recording times more manageable with my guests, and to give you, the listener, ample time to listen to the lengthy episodes as they come out, and respond to them, if you so choose. But you didn't tune in for a lengthy intro. You tuned in for some Action Comics Weekly material. So before I get right into it, one minor disclaimer. And I don't really like doing such a disclaimer at the beginning because I feel like I'm apologizing for something before we even get started. But I do feel it necessary to at least let you know once. I am not a comics expert. I've only been reading comics for the better part of eight years. And we'll get into my specific history with comics later on in the show. There are characters and concepts I'm passionate and knowledgeable about, like Green Lantern. 
There are characters I'm simply passionate about. And there are characters I'm woefully in the dark on. Same with the creators we come across during this series. This is where I will rely on my guests and you, the listener, via your feedback as we go. I don't claim to know everything, but I can promise you a fun ride and some good comic book conversations. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this, the first episode of the Action Comics Weekly Podcast. All right, guys, and we're back. So to kick things off, it must be kismet. I swear the editors that be uh, over at Action Comics Weekly must have known I'd be doing this podcast uh, 20 plus, 30 plus years on uh, because the first uh, segment of at least the first three issues of Action Comics Weekly is Green Lantern. And this is the first podcast I'm doing by myself outside of the Lantern cast, but to help ease us into the flow of things. (laughs) (laughs) To to get the withdrawal a little easier. (laughs) To to make it a little easier, we start with Green Lantern. And, you know, I co-host a Green Lantern podcast. So (laughs) I had to bring my other half on (laughs) to talk about Green Lantern. Plus, we were going to get around to this stuff eventually, maybe, <laughs> on our own show. So <laughs> there's no – we had to do it anyways, right? <laughs> well, yeah, we might have gotten around to it sooner rather than later depending how Rebirth turns out. <laughs> if, it, if Green Lantern goes even further over the edge, then we may have just said, hey, we don't even need to cover the new stuff. Let's go back. Let's go retro every week. <laughs> <laughs> so I – I haven't even said his name yet. I brought on my co-host on the Lantern cast, Mark Marble. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty good. How are you, Chad, or Mr. Vocalman? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So we are talking about uh, the Green Lantern series, uh, uh, well, stories from uh, Action Comics Weekly. This particular segment, of course, we are talking about the Green Lantern story in uh, Action Comics Weekly 601. Um, so before we get started, you know, I'm, I'm going to be asking everybody. So Mark, I, I know this, I know the answer to all this, but our list, you know, the, 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 the listeners out there don't. So you, why don't you go ahead and tell us what sort of your history with comics in general is and Green Lantern specifically is. My history with comics in general, they go back to since I, when I was a little kid back in, and I'm old folks, so yes, I will have to acknowledge this. Uh, back in the 70s, so pretty much I started reading comics probably around, eh, I'd say somewhere early to mid-70s. I was pretty small when I started reading them, probably when I was four or five I first started getting into them. Spider-Man was the, I was mostly a Marvel guy. I was mostly a Marvel guy growing up. I mean, my father got me DC stuff, but I, you know, Superman, Batman, some action comics, a lot of things like that. But I wasn't really into DC nearly as much as I was into Marvel. So Spider-Man was my guy, Spider-Man the Hulk. Uh, the Avengers, as I got older, not so much when I was younger, but mostly it was Spider-Man. It was Spider-Man books. So that's how I kind of, that's how I, that's how I guess my getting my feet wet, if you will, during the, uh, Kind of like the Ross Andrew era, especially of Spider-Man. Uh, I, I, one of the first issues I ever got was the, actually the issue with the Punisher. Was the first appearance of the Punisher. So pretty much from the late 120s all the way through, way, 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 you know, for a long time into, way into the 80s, I was reading Spider-Man regularly. Green Lantern, I didn't get into until the reign of the Superman tie-in 
uh, Green Lantern 46. I pretty much, I knew of Green Lantern through, you know, obviously because of, you know, super friends and basic knowledge, but I really wasn't into Green Lantern at all until after, I got, until after Reign of the Superman. That tie-in gave me kind of like a, another, a reintroduction to the character. Uh, Emerald Twilight, after Emerald Twilight is actually when I started picking up the book from 51 on. So as I pointed out, the irony is that I pretty much started reading the book when it, as a when Kyle took over the book. Kyle was the Green Lantern at the time, but because of Kyle, I ended up becoming a Hal fan. Not that I dislike Kyle, I don't. But but Hal became my Green Lantern almost by you know by proxy and by retro by retroing going back to reading all the stories since I liked him as Parallax to find out you know everything what kind of made him tick even more than you know your basic knowledge from that point what I knew it from that point going backwards and forwards things to Kyle. So that that's that's pretty much and I've been into Green Lantern really heavily since 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 like since the Kyle era and probably now I would honestly say not to ramble too much longer that I would say along with Star Wars Green Lantern is like my pop culture thing. For a while Star Wars was number 1, Green Lantern then took over probably until probably even through now Green Lantern I think has 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 certainly taken over. Uh, but those, but that's pretty much my background. Awesome. My personal history, as I said earlier uh, in the intro, guys, uh, I will not be claiming to be an expert on certain creators or characters or concepts throughout this series. Secret Six, Blackhawk, so on and so forth. Uh, but there are very few things I find myself extremely uh, well versed in. Um, and one of those is Green Lantern. Duh. <laughs> so uh, when it comes to Green Lantern, I have a little bit more of a personal history with it than I will be telling you about on the subsequent characters. But my personal history with Green Lantern myself, um, I started reading comics. Obviously, I had a group of comics as a kid. I've, you know, I, I have already and will mention the story again a billion times throughout either this episode or the next ones, but it doesn't matter. Uh, I had a group of small comics as a kid. None of them, uh, most of them were Marvel, as a matter of fact. Um, but, it, uh, you know, I kind of read and reread those, but I never got any new ones as a kid. It wasn't until after I graduated high school and I was wandering a uh, Borders at the time. Uh, and... You know, just, uh, you know, I remembered I had these comics as a kid and I was just, you know, really killing a lot of time. I think it was before a showing of some movie, uh, cause the borders was right next to a theater. Uh, and I kind of was just killing time and I was just kind of, I saw a graphic novel section. So I went over there and I bought two things. I bought Showcase Presents, uh, volume two, uh, or Showcase rather, volume two. Uh, which was those black and white reprints of old Silver Age issues of Green Lantern. Uh, Two, volume two because volume one wasn't in stock and it seemed like I think I only it was only ten bucks or something so I was like oh well why not so uh, I got it and then I also picked up that that same day uh, Green Lantern Rebirth with uh, with Jeff Johns uh, and Ethan Van Skyver um, doing the art chores on that and you know I read both of those uh, those trades in you know about about a week rebirth i was must have been a night or two uh and i was really shocked about it because the art seemed it wasn't like it was a drastic departure from what the the, the small select group of comics i had read as a kid but it it was enough to where i was like whoa this is comic art now 
this is a lot different than what I was expecting. And the story seemed deep, and it seemed, uh, while, I, while I wasn't obviously steeped in the DC universe at this point, I recognized enough of the characters from either cartoons or whatever to, 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 to know, have cursory knowledge, but just kind of be curious about what was going on. So I started picking up Green Lantern with the Final Crisis Rage of the Red Lanterns one-shot special um, and got every single issue of Green Lantern from then on. Uh, and a bunch of back back matter stuff. And I found the Lantern cast, which is uh, the Green Lantern podcast Mark and I do, uh, at the same time because I was also getting into comics podcasts, and I, I think I had heard about it on Comic Geek Speak. And the Lantern cast started up basically the same time I started reading Green Lantern consistently. One of their first episodes was Final Crisis, Rage of the Red Lantern's one-shot special. Um, so... I started listening, became a regular listener, then became a co-host, then Jim and Dan left, and I brought Mark on, and bam, we've been doing this for, uh, it'll be, what, three years in November, yes, right? three. So, yeah, that's that's my history with Green Lantern, and uh, I, I, I love it. Now, speaking of Green Lantern history, before we get into your synopsis of this, of this story, what can you tell us sort of generally about where Green Lantern slash the characters we're going to see in this were, where this where the universe was at the time 601 is published. It's a pretty dismal state for the Green Lanterns. It's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of ironic because not even talking about the story quality here, we're just talking about a direct comparison to where we are in the current status quo. It's pretty much, pretty much exactly the same. Uh, the Green Lantern Corps pretty much does not exist at the moment. The Guardians are gone. Uh, Hal Jordan appears to be the only real Green Lantern left. So John Stewart is still around, and Arisia and other and Cap Matui, people who were Green Lanterns, are no longer Green Lanterns. Everybody's kind of hanging out on Earth, <laughs> but Hal, you know, basically, as far as everyone else is concerned, he's like the only real Green Lantern left. So, so in a way, it kind of mirrors what we have now, where the Green Lantern Corps has disappeared. We haven't seen the friggin' Templar Guardians in, like, a year. And and Hal's pretty much the last remnants of... Like Obi-Wan, <laughs> he's the last the last remnants of the uh, of the old order here. So, that's kind of... That's pretty That's pretty much... An, that's pretty much, I think, the bare basics of where, you know, the, the Green Lantern universe is when this story begins. See, because I'm trying not to read too far ahead... So I don't want to speak out of turn, but I'm pretty sure Green Lantern was one of, if not the only uh, character that appeared in every single issue of Action Comics Weekly. Uh, you would see rotating stories, you know, uh, uh, you'd see, you know, some stories uh, or character group of characters would go for several issues, then go away and then come back several issues later um, or be replaced with others or, or whatever. But I'm pretty, pretty sure Green Lantern was reg a regular appearance in all issues of Action Comics Weekly. Uh, so there was no regular Green Lantern title at the time. Um, I think at the time this came out, it was, I think it was called Green Lantern Corps at the time, right? It switched from Green Lantern to Green Lantern I Corps. I think so. Same numbering, but just different title. Uh, Green Lantern Corps canceled, and then right after that, Action Comics Weekly happens. So this, Action Comics Weekly, for this time period, is is the quote-unquote regular book. Green Lantern book. <laughs> yes. So do you want to go ahead and tell people a brief synopsis of this of this story, where we pick up with uh, with Hal and company? Sure. Let me just make sure I get my... I have all... I have... 
all my windows ready to go, so let's make sure I click on the right one. Uh, I guess I guess the actual title of the story is "And the Pain Shall Leave My Heart." Not surprising, as we figure out who the you know the villain is in this story. Uh, James, is that Owsley? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the, this, sometimes the text on this version is not particularly clear. James Owsley is the writer. Gil Kane, of course, legendary. Gil Kane is the art. Alberto de Guzman lettering. Anthony Tallon, coloring, and your boy Dennis O'Neill is the editor. Uh, so, so again, when you were talking about, it, you were destined to kind of talk about these issues. I, that, there you go, right there. <laughs> <laughs> Denny O'Neill, my hero. <laughs> yes. Now the artwork is really interesting because at first it really threw me because I didn't like it, but then it, it's kind. Of, but then you you kind of understand what's going on in the story. It makes sense because it it's warped because the person who's looking at everything is warped. <laughs> <laughs> That we have like a really warped looking of how Jordan kind of with some a little bit of you know pink or purple energy uh, kind of like being directed kind of like eh, coming off of him in a way and we kind of get a back a little bit of background uh, like I, I think he stole my heart the first you know mo- the first I laid eyes on him how Jordan Green Lantern and you get a little bit of a summary of you know how becoming a Green Lantern and in, in, from the Guardians and giving him the oath to defend. The Earth and yada yada yada, and then we find out quickly on the second page that the person who is talking about this and who is looking at everything through an incredibly warped view and seeing how completely warped is Carol Ferris, otherwise known as Star Sapphire, and not the benevolent Star Sapphire that we're that the modern Green Lantern readers are used to, but the completely bonkers, uh, blinded by uh, the power of, of the Sapphire, which is still interesting because she is wielding a ring, so that's so. That's kind of like an early precursor to the modern Green Green Lantern era, too. And she just goes on, you know, she gives a brief her brief background about how, you know, how basically, you know, in a way she was adopted by the Sapphires and all. And all she pretty much ha- has is left is her powering. And ironically, she refers to the fact that all she has left is her powering and hate, which is kind of funny since her power is love. <laughs> <laughs> but she goes, I loved you once, Hal, and now when I look at you, I only see the loss of my people, you know, the end of my life. Somebody's got to pay for that. And since the Guardians are gone, pretty much, you're it. <laughs> so that's almost like the prologue to the story. Uh, the story then switches to Earth, and we, in, uh, in Coast City, which is kind of a funny scene because, you know, John Stewart, like, trying to get, trying to dress, get dressed, looking like he's ready to go to work, and he's basically telling, hey, you know, you guys got to get a life. <laughs> like the William Shatner line, get a life. Because Hal and Arisia pretty much have been hanging around John and Cap Matui's place since, since the core, you know, broke up. And, you know, it's just, it's just not really working well, especially since, you know, John and Cap pretty much just, just got married and all this thing. And it's like, uh, we need some space. <laughs> and just when, you know, Cap, you know, Hal's kind of like lamenting the fact that, oh, you know, I don't have a job. I'm sorry, and and of course, you know, John's kind of wrongly or rightly kind of steers Hal in a direction here by going, "Who's talking about having a job? You know, you're you're, you're like the, pretty much the only person left in the universe who's got a power ring, and there aren't any guardians around anymore. So pretty much, you know, you can do whatever you want. Wink, wink. But I so think about that. So and you know, John's trying to be real careful, and he kind of he kind of mentions, oh, you know, there's an abandoned diamond mine in South Africa. And it's like you're suggesting I steal, and it's like, no, you're not listening to me. The mine's closed, so I guess in John's mind, if it's closed, it's not stealing. I guess because no one has a legal claim to it, or no one. But either way, so basically, John's kind of convincing Hal to go be a diamond thief. <laughs> Maybe depending on one's point of view. 
Hal pretty much, you know, take, decides, hey, you know, well, maybe I'll give, maybe I'll give that a shot. And Hal recharges his ring, and he, and he, he flies off to South Africa, and he finds, you know, he finds the mine, and apparently it's not 100%, you know, deserted because of the fact that they're shooting at him and everything else, and they're telling him he's trespassing and yada yada yada, and you know, Hal's pretty, you know, Hal's kind of successful in uh, lifting, lifting a few of the diamonds. And he actually doesn't really feel so bad about, you know, doing what he's doing with these guys because, of course, this is back during the apartheid era of South Africa. So I guess if you're looking for a, you know, it's okay to steal or rob people, I guess that's kind of the justification, too. It's like, they're bad people, so it doesn't matter. At that point, while that's going on in South Africa, uh, who shows up at Kat Matui in John's apartment and only Katma is there now? Except, but Carol, you know, Carol's. Ferris, and she's like, you're Katma, aren't you? And, you know, Katma doesn't know what the hell, you know, why are you here? And she goes, oh, well, you're not Hal Jordan, but you were a Green Lantern, so you'll do. And, of course, Carol Ferris, as we find out quickly, but in the next panel, pretty much she just bludgeons and rips uh, Katma Tui apart. Just to, just to send Hal Jordan a message. <laughs> you know, and Hal comes back, you know, and talking about, oh, it was trickier than I thought, trading these diamonds in for, you know, for a legal tender, and he, and he arrives back at John's apartment, and John's completely upset, and he's crying, and he's, ra- and he's pretty much, he's kind of like raging, like, you know, Katma, my wife, she's dead, hacked to pieces, and it's your fault, damn you, it's your fault. Next week, retribution. <laughs> dun, dun. Oh, right. Whew. Uh, so first, first of all, I, I feel it's important to, to know, and, you know, I'll, I'll, probably lament this throughout this whole podcast uh every now and then throughout the life of this podcast but it's criminal utterly criminal that green lantern stuff from the action comics weekly series is not collected in any way shape or form (laughs) uh especially because of how how basically how legendary or well known this story actually is especially you know the the whole thing in general but the way this begins with the whole cat matui star sapphire thing which has continued to have repercussions down the road. Down the road, but with in story ultimately amounts to nothing. Now we're not right. going to get too too far ahead into this because we want to sort of save our thoughts on on material that happens in a particular issue for that particular episode. But ultimately, this 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 action doesn't amount to anything. Now it reflects on John down the line. It's one of his you know moments in history that really bugs him, just like Xanshi uh, down the line. But this. <laughs> this ultimately it's it's for for a character like John Stewart who doesn't have a lot of I don't want to say uh I don't want to say a lack of characterization but a lack of maybe meaningful characterization that you know I don't know I feel like a lot of the stuff uh, when we had the angry black architect he was they went to that well a lot and we didn't really expand too much on it and then we went to the whole marine thing and they haven't expanded much on that I just, you know, we get a couple stories like the stuff that happened in Power of Ion uh, that are, are great characterization stories for John, but by and large, he doesn't have a whole lot of them. I feel like, you know, when you don't have a lot of those characterization stories for John, your next best, best bet is to collect the stuff that is at least pivotal to his history. The death of Cat Matui is certainly one of those. So not having it collected, at least for Green Lantern fans, is pretty awful. Now, they have slowly started collecting some of these stories from Action Comics Weekly in trade paperback form by character. I think, like, the maybe Nightwing and Speedy stuff has been collected. I'm pretty sure the Superman strips have been collected, uh, so on and so forth. But 
the fact that they didn't even they don't have the Green Lantern one, maybe let alone started with the Green Lantern one, kind of bugs me. I can understand that. Yeah. Uh, as for Star Sapphire, whew, uh, yeah, <laughs> I've never, I had never read the story before. I knew, I mean, obviously, like we, like I kind of referred or mentioned uh, that you know this is kind of a legendary story or, or something that people know, even if they haven't read it. Kind of like uh, what. Sanchi blowing up or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's like people know about it even if they never read it. It's kind of been passed down as lore, as Green Lantern lore. But, you know, re- reading this for the first time, yeah, that's kind of an appropriate reaction. It's like, wow. It's like, yeah. Woo! <laughs> it, it, this, this, it, this is a funny word for Green Lantern fans and no. This effigy that uh that she that she has in space do you think this is like a a puppet she's rung up is it supposed to be a construct uh, i mean her energy is going to it but is her energy creating it because she hacks it to pieces and then flies off yeah see it's hard to know how, how symbolic that is or do are we supposed to take it or are we supposed to take it literally uh may, maybe she created it i'm not sure how capable her constructs are of looking like everything as opposed to looking like something you know, bathed in pink mm-hmm. but it's also again some of this could just be in in her mind because this is what she's you know she's using hal as the focal point so she could just be imagining all this and she could just be lashing out at nothing but this is what she's seeing because like again like we've talked about earlier that clearly this is an incredibly warped and unrealistic version you know uh like a besides an effigy it's just kind of like a, a caricature of how Jordan kind of uh, over, you know, the head being oversized and they, all these different things. So it could just be where this is what she thinks she's seeing because clearly she's not seeing things correctly across the board. But it's possible. Maybe it, you know, once we do, you know, the next two next two parts or even going forward, maybe it maybe it gives us more of a clue as to whether it's a construct or just kind of all in her head. But she's messed up, man. For sure. Uh, the you know, for for a brutal murder scene that doesn't show anything it's still pretty brutal on panel just in the fact that you see her swinging her arms and you see Katniss scream across three panels and then you see this final panel of the blood dripping down in the background and then Katniss hand hand sort of you know reaching that that's uh for 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 not showing anything it says a lot which so kudos to Bill Kane for that. Yeah, uh, it's kind of you and I kind of joked about this earlier before we re- recorded. Just the fact that for all the, for all the people that want to give Hal when he was Parallax a lot of shit about the way he acted. <laughs> Star Sapphire, I mean, Star Sapphire has nothing on Hal for being like pushed over the borderline because she's just completely friggin' nuts. <laughs> she That's is, true. Yeah, she is. I mean, she is a lump. Yeah, she's pretty damn brutal and pretty completely warped in her way of thinking, and it's not even like she's trying to accomplish a greater good. She's just out for out and out for revenge here. So yeah, this is it's it is kind of difficult now that you actually having. I guess it would be difficult if you'd read this originally and then seeing how the character has changed, but it's been so long that maybe you just accept it. But knowing the Carol Ferris that I'm used to reading about pretty much from when she was re-introed kind of in the Kyle run back through, you know, and then to rebirth and going forward, it's kind of hard to see her like this, and it's kind of hard to remember that this is supposed to be the same character, and yet we're supposed to completely absolve her, you know, of all her sins. (laughs) So, yeah. Speaking of weird characterization... Uh, I, you kind of mentioned it in your recap, but I, 
I I kind of still have a problem with John saying, "Hey, go jack this diamond." <laughs> it does. It, it well. See, I guess in a way, we not not just because he's. I, I'm, I'm, that's, I'm trying to figure out the best way to put it. I think in a way, maybe this, it, it kind of goes back to what you, you said about, maybe this is, in a way, goes back to referring to his origins too. The, uh, like you said, the angry architect to the original, the original incarnation of John Stewart. That maybe this is a throwback that in John's mind, because, you know, because it is South Africa, then pretty much you really can't do wrong. If you're doing something, if you're doing something that's gonna screw over, like, you know, the, the apartheid government of South Africa, then there's really no, <laughs> On the sliding scale of wrong, I mean, you really can't do anything worse than what they're doing, so you're always going to be in the right. Uh, I'm, it is, it, but it, yeah, it is kind of hard to justify him going, hey, you know, you don't, you don't really need to get a job, Hal. You, you have the power ring, so why don't you just go steal money from, or, or steal, steal fresh, precious jewels from some place that may not need it. <laughs> because I want your ass out of my apartment, and I want, and I want your, Pseudo girlfriend to get her ass out of the bathroom. Because <laughs> Arisia keeps hogging the bathroom. And she's just oblivious to everything. Yeah, and she looks horrible too. She does. She does. I only had one other comment. Do you know who James Owsley is? The name actually sounded familiar, but I don't. I can't place why it sounds familiar. James Owsley later becomes known as Christopher Priest. Oh, okay. James Owsley and Christopher Priest are one and the same. I didn't do enough research because I'm clearly I'm lazy uh, <laughs> to, to know which of those is the pseudonym and which of those is the real name, or if they're both pseudonyms. Uh, so I, I don't know. But uh, James Owsley is Christopher Priest. Now, with that knowledge in mind, this isn't Christopher Priest writing that I remember because Christopher Priest didn't he write the Sleepers novels? I'm pretty sure he wrote the Green Lantern Sleepers novels, the, the the trilogy. Born James Christopher Owsley. Okay, so priest is a pseudonym. So let's let's see. I'm, I got this real quick. I brought this up. Let's see if, without boring anybody. Let's see if I can actually find what you if it mentions that. Let me let me Google those Sleepers things. Yep, there it was is. It, was it him? Yep, Christopher Priest. At least for book one. Uh, no, nope, nope. It's the whole thing. Cool. Yep. So Christopher Priest wrote the fantastic, well, more fantastic when you listen to him in graphic audio format, uh, Gr uh, Green Lantern Sleepers series, which is a trilogy of novels focusing on, I think, Kyle first, Alan second, and Hal third? Hal Spectre, I think. Hal Spectre third. So there's, there's, there's that. Uh, so th those are, those are really well written and, Christopher Priest is a name a lot of people know from a great many things. I here's another thing. Um, see, this is where I, I say I'm versed in Green Lantern guys, but not in other things. Didn't he also write the uh, the uh, Black Panther series? I thought I think so. I think so. I just saw something when I was looking at his background about about Black Panther. Uh, yeah, 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 he, he did. He he wrote Black Panther. I, I believe his run on Black Panther is touted by several people I know in the comics podcasting game as one of the best written Black Panther stories ever, uh, or runs really ever. So, Christopher, when you when you put you know his later work with Sleepers with Black Panther, so on and so forth, up against this, I'm a little underwhelmed and slightly disappointed. But I can't really go on that too much right now based on what we have here with these few pages. 
I think I think my disappointment comes a little later. So with that in mind, I'll, I'll sort of save my comments. Do you have any other comments about this particular story? It was pretty quick moving, even with the little, you know, the maybe a all too convenient sidebar of getting Hal out to go to South Africa just so she could show up and kill Kapitui. But it's still, I think the story moved pretty pretty quickly. There was we got we certainly got a lot of information overall in a short period of time and a short amount of pages. So. True. So it, it certainly made you want to certainly would make you want to come back in like two weeks to find out what the hell was going to happen <laughs> or next week, you know. So yeah, it was uh, I think it was a, off to a good start despite how uh, how how horrible as as far as the content wise, you know, towards you know, as a horrible reflection of Carol Ferris anyway, <laughs> it was. But yeah, it's certainly memorable. For sure. All right. Well, thanks for joining me and helping me launch the, uh, you know, the, in, in the inaugural segment of the inaugural episode. Yes, <laughs> of, number one. That's right. Uh, so uh, before before we uh, go to break, why don't you tell people where they can find you across the internet? Oh, I don't know. I, probably <laughs> <laughs> uh, just put your head out the window and yell for me. Maybe I'll respond. Uh, probably the best, logically, the best place is our website, lanterncast.com. On, for on Facebook, the Lantern Cast is on Facebook. I, Mark Marble, I'm also on Facebook. So any of those places are are pretty good to uh, to contact us. Me, in particular. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything else to say Be- besides the regular Lantern Cast episodes that Chad and I do. I mean, I have my pre-birth spinoff with with for, with Lantern Cast founder, you know, Jim Ford, where we do the, we cover the Spectre, Hal Jordan's journey as the Spectre, be, you know. Before rebirth took place, thus the pre-birth title. So I think at the moment that's it. iTunes and Stitcher, right? That's where they can. Yes, iTunes and iTunes and Stitcher, where you can find the Lantern Cast. Besides, of course, on our website, you can also download the episodes there. Cool. All right, guys, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to dive into some Wild Dog. (laughs) Good luck there, my friend. To tell you the story of Green Lantern is to tell you the story of the birth of a universe. The origins of DC as a whole. It's a magic emerald meteor from space in the 1940s. It's the establishment of the JSA. It's the birth of the Silver Age. It's the introduction of a universal police force. It's the formation of the JLA. It's the emergence of the multiverse. It's a crisis in both space and time. It's an emerald dawn, and it's an emerald twilight. It's the brightest day, and the blackest night. And the Lantern cast covers all of this and everything in between. We're Green Lantern's greatest advocates and fiercest critics. We've been fans for years, and it's the reason we're self-proclaimed lanternologists. So find us on iTunes and Stitcher and give us a listen, because the history of Green Lantern really is the history of the DC Universe. And we've got the interviews, commentaries, reviews, and more to back it up. All right, guys, we are back from break and fresh off the heels of that uh, climactic Green Lantern story. We come to story number two featuring the character of Wild Dog. (laughs) Yeah, that guy. And again, I'm not alone in this this endeavor, and thank God <laughs> when it comes to Wild Dog. This time around, I've got fellow podcaster Jay Jones with me. How you doing, man? I'm 
doing okay. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. It was uh, really difficult to find somebody who wanted to talk about Wild Dog. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure you did, actually. <laughs> <laughs> He volunteered, guys. <laughs> he dug himself into the hole. <laughs> I, I did. Yes, I did. So the the first thing I got to ask everybody is, what's your, you know, just the same the same way you you start any podcast or uh, endeavor. What what was your inter- introduction to comics slash, you know, kind of dovetail into your history with the character of Wild Dog? Uh, well, the history of the comics goes back to the mid '80s. Um, I used to go down to the local convenience store with my buddy Roy and pick up whatever we could find. Um, I was heavy into DC as a kid. I did not like or understand Marvel Comics. Um, My attitude has shifted since then. Uh, I've come to tolerate Marvel Comics quite a bit. But uh, I think it started – what really started me loving uh, comics uh, was actually uh, Captain Atom. When I started reading his new series in 1987, uh, I just uh, something about it. I fell in love with it. I loved I loved uh, the time travel aspect. I loved his superpowers. I just loved the way it was the way it was drawn, the way it was written. And really, I've been hooked on comics ever since. Um, Primarily, like I said, a DC guy, although I have opened up and, and um, accepted Marvel into my heart, uh, <laughs> particularly uh, – I mean I really like Deadpool, um, but my first love will always be DC Comics, will always be these characters, will always be uh, Captain Adam, Green Lantern. Actually, uh, my top five list does include Dead Man too, so this was a great issue for me. Um, <laughs> was actually was Dead Man in this one? I don't now. I don't remember. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Yes. 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 He was. So uh, and, yeah. And and, you ha- and it was Action Comics Weekly the series that introduced you to Wild Dog, or was it his mini series that came out before? It was his mini series. Um, I was quite intrigued by the first issue, just the cover of the first issue. Um, there weren't a lot of comics back then that DC was putting out. They had a dude with an Uzi on the cover. <laughs> uh, so that intrigued me and, uh, I thought he was a fresh new, um, idea for a superhero, not even a superhero, just a hero, uh, that actually, you know, he shot people and he killed people. And, uh, I didn't realize that he was not a really a fresh new idea. He was kind of, uh, I think he was kind of a knockoff of the Punisher, wasn't he? <clears throat> yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> so, uh. But, you know, like I said, it wasn't a Marvel guy, so I didn't know he was a knockoff of the Punisher. As far as I was concerned, he was a cool new guy. Um, but, yeah, I started with the miniseries, then I started uh, Action Comics Weekly, and I believe he did have the one special after that. And after that, I think he just kind of dropped off the face of the DC Universe. Yeah, if I read Wikipedia right, uh, it, lo- it seems like, yes, he had the, the, the four-issue miniseries, then... A couple months later, this uh, Action Comics Weekly series started up, and he had about three arcs in there. And then I saw something listed about him appearing in a Lobo storyline, as well as during, I think, Secret Invasion, maybe, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, I think, you know, sometime during I mean, Final Crisis or, you know, so, something some, somewhere around there, there was a, and a, he was, he showed up somewhere around there as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I. I got to I got to admit throughout this podcast I'm probably going to be extremely uh let's put uh I don't know what the word would be I I'm going to be extremely uh reluctant to cover the wild dog side of things <laughs> you know just 
just a audible sigh of discontent <laughs> as yeah. we go into the subjects. I promise you it has nothing to do with you being my co-host. It has everything <laughs> to do with this character because I am not a fan of the uh, the mercenary yeah. characters. Uh, and I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Deadpool in as far as they added the whole comedic element to it. But the whole... You know, former military man who lost a lot of people and just, you know, his only solution is, you know, gunning people down the same way the people he lost were gunned down. That that whole thing doesn't really appeal to me. I mean, I can I can get it when it clashes. Like, for instance, during Civil War, there was that moment between Punisher and Cap, you know, and, and, and all of that uh, in the original comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those those types of things are interesting when those two ideals clash, like, you know, in the daredevil netflix season two you know the 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 punisher daredevil clash you know those are interesting but in and of themselves those types of characters don't typically interest me so they really don't pretty ridiculous yes (laughs) yeah i'm not a huge fan of mercenary uh comic book characters myself uh i do like deadpool but mostly for his uh, fourth wall breaking uh antics and the the comedic angles but uh I'm not crazy about mercenary comics, and I'm not crazy about Wild Dog, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do this with you. So let's <laughs> at get least it over for three. With. Yeah, at least for three episodes. <laughs> yeah, at least for three, maybe two and a half. I mean, I'll probably be phoning it in at some point. <laughs> so what I'm gonna do, guys, is I just copied a, a brief synopsis off of the uh, off of Wikipedia, just about two paragraphs about the history of this character, because thus far we really don't get much of an origin for him uh, in this story. So what I'm going to do is I'm gonna recap this thing from Wikipedia. I was able to find two of the four issues from the four issue original miniseries in which Wild Dog first appeared, but they were issues two and four. <laughs> so. You know, I didn't get really – there really isn't much point in reading those issues without having the full series. I so, have uh, all four of them. I can send them to you if you want. We'll see. You can have them, really. <laughs> I mean, I would love to send them to you. I'll send, I'll send them to you with 20 bucks. How's that? <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, so, what, so I'll just read this Wikipedia entry real quick. It says, Jack Wheeler went to, a co- uh, went to college on a football scholarship. He dropped out due to an injury and spent some time in the Marines. He quit, the, he quit that after most of his squad was killed by a terrorist bomb. He returned to the Quad Cities and began taking night classes. His new girlfriend was targeted and slain by Hitman as she was secretly the daughter of a Chicago crime boss. Armed with a Jatomatic GG95 PDW, which is a 9mm submachine gun, and a pair of electrified quote-unquote shock gloves, his costume consists of camouflage pants, ca- combat boots, a local college football jersey emblazoned with a snarling dog hiding his protective body armor, and a hockey mask to conceal his identity. In the first issue of his limited series, he barges in on a hostage situation and kills all the criminals. He successfully rescues the endangered reporter and is named Wild Dog after the SWAT captain orders his men to shoot the vigilante, quote, like a wild dog in the street. Clever. <laughs> Super clever. <laughs> So that's the that's the uh, super encapsulated origin of Wild Dog. Uh, well, now as we open up to the first part of the Wild Dog story in Action Comics six hundred one, Jay, you want to take it from here? Absolutely. Um, it is called Moral Stand, Chapter One, Point of Order. Writer was Max Collins, penciler Terry Beatty, 
also they were the creators of Wild Dogs, so that makes sense. Uh, inked by John Nyberg, colors by Michelle Wolfman. I don't know this letterer. Gaspar? Gaspar. I've never heard of mm-hmm. Gaspar. I, I'm probably I'm led a sheltered life. Editor Mike Gold. It opens with a terrorist group called the Committee for Social Change taking over the city council chambers of Davenport, Ohio. The mayor, <clears throat> excuse me, the mayor, council members, and a local TV crew are being host- held hostage. Uh, this is a pre-9/11 world where any armed idiot could stroll into a government building. Uh, the G- GSC has only one demand: turn Wild Dog over to them, and the government officials won't be harmed. The cops are given 30 minutes before the GSC starts shooting hostages. Of course, the police have no idea who Wild Dog is or how to find him. Lucky for the cops, though, Wild Dog is on the scene and readies himself to infiltrate the building. The police devise a plan to get a fake Wild Dog into the council chambers, followed by a SWAT team, unaware that Wild Dog has already made it into the building. Wild Dog enters the council chambers and opens fire. He murders the terrorists and wounds a hostage. By the time the police arrive on the scene, Wild Dog has made his escape. That's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what did you what did you think of this? This uh, what? This was a really know. violent issue of uh, Action <laughs> Comics, really. Um, but yeah, that's Wild Dog. <laughs> yeah. Well, not to mention how the Green Lantern story <laughs> ended right right before it, and then we get into this. Yeah, too. <laughs> yeah. Very dark. Very dark. And there's a dead man in this issue too. So. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. I think part of the reason I wasn't really uh, intrigued by the story is I have a lot uh, intrigued by reading the story rather is I have a lot of problems artistically with wasted space. Yeah. I don't like a lot of, I don't like, like for instance, you know, like this, this scene where you see into the the city council chamber right before wild dog enters and starts shooting people up. You see like him coming in the door and you see the the council chamber but then like there's all these empty seats in space and right. there's a couple of panels there with him to, with no background it's just white right there's a lot of empty space in several of these different panels and to me sometimes you know when I'm when I'm flipping through especially an anthology series when I'm flipping through an anthology series and I'm the reason I'm buying the anthology series is something other than the story I'm flipping through at that moment that story has to do a couple of different things to catch my attention and make me want to read it. Yeah, I spent money for the whole thing, and obviously I paid extra for it. Yeah. So you would think, logistically, I'd want to read everything out of there and get my money's worth. But if I'm flipping through and I see a lot of stuff that I'm not interested in, I'm just going to go, eh, screw it. I'm not going to waste my time as well as my money. So yeah. So the, so I, I don't I don't see that. And plus, the art is kind of weird. Like, for instance, at the very, very beginning... When the uh, when this group is holding the mayor hostage, he's got a gun to his head. Right. He's supposed to look scared, and he just looks like, yeah, whatever. Like yeah. he's got this weird expression on. His Slightly face. perturbed. <laughs> yeah. And the other guy uh, to the other side of him, look, that's sitting down, looks like uh, he's like, I can't believe this is happening today of all days. I mean, I this this idiot is ruining my afternoon. I mean. <laughs> These guys really don't look scared. They just look a little put out. Yeah. <laughs> just mildly inconvenient. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I guess that Davenport, uh, Iowa is a really um, a really exciting place usually. I don't know. <laughs> that's, it's, it's, it seems like it. 
Otherwise, I don't know if this is a really good. Uh, would you say this is a good introduction issue? If if you're if you you know knowing what you already know about the miniseries, but just being able to kind of put that from your mind, would you be able to read this and think this is a good introduction to Wild Dog? And not only that, but his quote unquote cast of supporting characters in the city in which he operates. <laughs> not particularly, no. It doesn't really. I mean, well. They didn't have a lot of space to work with. There's not a lot of character development going on. Um, <clears throat> all of the characters that are involved, the speaking characters, I would say, there's like like four men that they thought were Wild Dog in the miniseries, and they didn't know till the very end which one was actually Wild Dog. <clears throat> and uh, I, I don't know if it's just the the uh, lack of space or what, but there's you know there's really no character development, which it is not a great introduction. To the character, I, I don't know what it would be a great introduction to the character, though. I mean, I, I don't even know why they bothered putting him in here. I don't know why he exists. No, uh, I think the answer to your question, no, this is not a great introduction to the character. <laughs> what did you think of the story overall, regardless? Uh, I mean, just you, you, you obviously have a, a familiarity and I wouldn't say passion, but, <laughs> you know, uh, let's just stick with familiarity. Tolerance. <laughs> I have a tolerance yeah. for Wild Dog, I guess. Um, his story is okay. I mean, uh, the author, uh, I don't think he's really done a lot in comics. I didn't uh, pull up his uh, resume, but I knew I know he's uh, better known as a novelist. Yes. Actually wrote uh, Road to Perdition, which was turned into a Tom Hanks movie. And his <clears throat> call sign there is usually Max Allen Collins, right? Not just Max Collins? Right, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the story, this story is, it's, it's not bad. It's not great. It's, it's like the character himself. It's like, he's just, it's just there. It just exists. And, um, it's not, nothing really jumps out at me with this. I mean, it's, 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 uh, I wish I, I wish I was passionate, more passionate about it. I could defend the, the story, uh, better. I don't think the art is that bad, really. Um, mm. it's got its moments. Like there is a lot of white panels where there's no background near led left in your head where are these people even at um but overall it's it's okay i mean that's my my ringing endorsement it's okay yeah see for me you know this story is is very obvious you know this this is a this is a, a mercenary type character um uh, and a mercenary type character type vigilante and it's very straightforward. It's a it's a hostage situation that he enters and mops up in right. the span of eight pages. So you you're you're left to think there is like okay, well is is DC uh, and and the writers and the creators of this going oh well this that's all you need to know about him. And then you realize that these are the creators of the character, and if they think this is an okay introduction to the character, then I'm left to wonder, okay, I guess that's all there really is to him. If the creators of the character himself think that this is a perfect introduction in the pages of Action Comics Weekly, and all it is is a very straightforward hostage situation that's taken out you know, relatively quickly, and bada-boom, bada-boom, that's all you need to understand who this character is, then I'm left to wonder, okay, then I guess there's really not much more to him than is there. Yeah, there. I think there isn't much more to him, really, to be honest. Uh, he, I think, in his mini, in the pages of his miniseries, he did have a a, a mission. Um, 
a revenge it was a revenge story and i think he he got his revenge in the end so you left to wonder why he even keeps on doing this um i would imagine that he got involved in this particular story because they were asking for wild dog but why were they asking for wild dog perhaps it will be explained in later ep- uh, issues of action comics weekly I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, actually know what happens, so <laughs> no. <laughs> what, what, what about the supporting cast? Uh, the Lieutenant Flint and, you know, these people outside, the the reporter. What do, what do we think about them? Did, did, did any or all of them make appearances in the prior series? And Lieutenant Flint did, and I believe that the reporter did. Was it Captain Lang? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> See, there were four men in the original miniseries that could have been dial- uh, Wild Dog, the Jack and Flint and I believe Lang, and there was a uh, another one that was like a government uh, spook, but I forget what his name was. He shows up later in this series too. They were they were all holdovers from the miniseries and really kind of two dimensional characters. Uh, they're not really like I said, these are characters that are holdovers from the original miniseries, but none of them are really fantastic characters or dynamic characters or even characters that you're going to remember after you move on to the next story. It's really hard to care about any of these folks. Right. Now, because I'm not familiar with the the miniseries, was he a kind of quiet mercenary? Like, you know, in in the story, Wild Dog says nothing. Like, he just walks in, takes care of business, walks out. He doesn't negotiate, he doesn't threaten, he doesn't quip, he just guns down and walks out. Yeah, you know, honestly, I flipped through the the first issue of the miniseries just a few days ago, but I didn't actually read through it, so I don't recall exactly. I, I believe that he was a silent character. I believe he didn't really say anything or explain his actions until probably towards the end when he finally you know, cornered whoever it was that he was after in the first place. I think for the most part, though, no, he just came in, you know, killed a bunch of people and went out. I think that was his M.O. It certainly is in, in the Action Comics Weekly run. That's, that's pretty much how he how he operates. He doesn't really say a lot. He doesn't do – he doesn't – he's not big on quips. He's not big on speeches. He just comes in, shoots a bunch of people, and gets out. Do they address why they want him in this? Like, because this story – you know, I don't want to spoil it for people, you know, who will be waiting two weeks for the next episode. But for for those, you know, without spoiling it, like this has no role in the next where, where the storyline goes from here. So yeah. uh, is this group that wants Wild Dog the holdover from the prior series? I don't think they are, actually. I, I, I really should have read the entire miniseries before I went into this. But I think they were just here for the purposes of getting Wild Dog out in public again. And they don't have any ties with the with the organization that is to come later. And I don't think they have any ties with the organization if they're you know, the, the criminal organization that he was miniseries. He just says they believe that the criminal Wild Dog is in league covertly with those in authority and they want him they they want him dead. It's no their motivation is uh, you know, really unexplained they're just there to get him to get him into the public light again to get the story moving forward yeah it's it's there's there's not there's not a lot here for me like and i don't know if there's a lot here for anybody i don't know who 
would be reading this story and come out the other side going, hey, I want more. Like, this is almost a one and done. Like, he, he you know, you know uh, gets on his line and exits the scene right away after all this. He, he, he couldn't have gone far. And then you assume, okay, well, I guess next issue is just going to be a, an out-and-out manhunt. And, okay, well, that's, you know, I can get that in any shoot-em-up action movie yeah. I've ever seen in my life. So... I don't know, and, and the art is nothing. I mean, it's not it's not bad art. You know, there's a couple of weird choices, like I said, at the face with the faces at the beginning and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and but there's nothing special about the story. There's nothing special about the plot. There's nothing special about the art. So I don't know what they thought they were accomplishing in this eight page story that they thought would make people want to continue reading the Adventures of Wild Dog. I don't know either. I don't know. I would imagine that after the original miniseries ran, uh, it, that should have been the end of the character. But I don't know what the sales numbers were. Maybe maybe he did really well, and they said, you know, let's bring him out and stick him in this uh, anthology book. But it's it doesn't – no, it's not – He it's out of place, I think uh, he he's out of place in this whole universe, really. Yeah. Uh, I, I I don't know, man. I think we've talked about him far too too long as it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, I think I think you're right in terms of just because Marvel had a success because Marvel and DC have been doing this crap for years. Oh yeah. Uh, same, same same with other publishers. Uh, you know, when Superman's created, then you know they somebody else creates Shazam and uh, uh, Captain Marvel, and then. Marvel creates Punisher and we get Wild Dog, but it doesn't necessarily mean the characters fit in the universe. I think it's actually it actually makes sense that this character shows up in a Lobo storyline in, in in the far future. Yeah. So so I get that, but I don't know I don't know within the confines of DC in the late '80s. Yeah, things are slightly darker and things like that, but I don't know if we're Wild Dog dark. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's pretty dark. I mean, that's a uh, you know. He straight up, like you said, he he murders these people, uh, yeah. and that's that's not that's not my DC comics. That's not super heroic at all. No, not at all. <clears throat> Batman wouldn't have killed anybody. Yeah, and it, it, it it's kind of fitting that they put this whole thing in Iowa because I can't think of another DC major DC uh, city housing a superhero that's anywhere near this town in Iowa that you would go. Well, somebody nearby had to have heard about Wild Dog and should like swing by and take a quick look to take care of the situation. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like it's close to Gotham or Keystone or you know Central or anything. So, <laughs> yeah. <sighs> oh well. All right. Do you have anything else to say about this uh, eight pager right here? I do not have anything else to say. <laughs> All right. Well, before we let you go. Where can people find you across the internet? I know you just started a uh, a pretty awesome podcast. Uh, speaking of your speaking to your love of uh, Captain Adam earlier, yes, uh, the Silver and Gold podcast I do with uh, my uh, hetero life partner Roy Charlemagne Cleary, where we go issue by issue through uh, Captain Adam and Booster Gold's first runs with DC Comics. Um, after that, we'll probably start reviewing other Captain M series and other Booster Gold series, but that's pretty far down the line. We're still working on a homepage. Right now, you can find us at CaptainAdamBlog.com, and uh, also on the Twitter. We're uh, I'm FKA Jason on Twitter, and our um, Twitter handle for the podcast is SNGPod4779. 
also I do, you know, that same CaptainAdamBlog.com is, of course, a Captain Adam blog that eventually will become a Captain Adam blog again, but right now it's the home for the podcast. <clears throat> and that is pretty much where you can find me. I also hang out at Facebook sometimes, uh, Jay Jones. Good luck in finding me. There's only about a million of us there. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I definitely uh, the, the podcast is 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 great. I, I did enjoy uh, hearing you on the uh, episode of Secret Origins that you were on for fairly recently. Oh yes, that was the Captain Adam Secret Origin, and uh, Ryan Dealey was kind enough to have me on as uh, as an expert in Captain Adam. So it was a lot of fun. I don't know if I want to be remembered as an expert on Wild Dog, but uh, I have a feeling I'm not going to be able to shake his stink off of me for some time. You volunteered, buddy. I, I asked. I asked. I said something, and your hand went up. Yeah, it did. <laughs> I remembered him differently. <clears throat> All right, guys. Well, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, the return of the classic, or not so classic, Secret Six. Hi, this is FKA Jason's son again. I just wanted to take another minute of your time to tell you about his podcast, Silver and Gold. He and his buddy Roy Charlemagne Clary celebrate the DC Comics characters Booster Gold and Captain Adam, issue by issue, and blah, 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 blah. Listen, the real reason you want to listen to the Silver and Gold is their Throwback Thursday episodes, because I'm the star of those shows. Dad and I review the Silver Age Captain Adam stories published by Charlton Comics in the 1960s. You can find the Silver and Gold podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also follow Dad Splitting Adam's blog at CaptainAdamBlog.com. We all know the real reason you'll be tuning in is to hear me criticize, uh, I mean, celebrate the Silver Age Captain Adam in our Throwback Thursday episodes. I can't believe Dad roped me into this. All right, guys, and we are back from break, and this time around, I've got Ben Avery here to talk with me about the Secret Six portion of the issue. First of all, welcome, Ben. Hi, Chad. How you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. How are you? Good. Awesome. Awesome. I wanted to thank you so much for coming on and, and talking about the Secret Six. Since this is the first time we'll be talking about uh, Secret Six, uh, just kind of throwing out there, I actually, this is one of the, the, the only stories... Other than other than uh, Wild Dog, uh, obviously, which I have no experience personally with. So, and that's sort of intentional, and I'll explain why in a second. But why don't why don't you tell the people, you know, what your kind of personal history is with sort of the Secret Six and sort of comics in general? Well, Secret Six specifically, my history with Secret Six goes back to uh, when I heard you were doing Action Comics Weekly, and I thought. Secret Six sounds interesting. That's my history. <laughs> so, uh, and and really, you know, so I I was you know getting these issues because I was going to follow along with your podcast. But then when uh, the chance to talk about something you know from the comics on your podcast came up, I was like, ah, oh, I, I I'd love to do that. And Secret Six sounds really really interesting. And because I did look up them, what what is the concept and. Uh, so, but that really is my history with these characters. I I knew nothing about them. I knew that there was a recent series uh, about the Secret Six, but I didn't. I don't even know what that recent series is about, and I don't even how how much it's connected with what this is here. I really want to find 
and I don't know if I'm going to track these down, but the the Brave and the Bold issues or the uh, Secret Six issues that, that they appeared in originally. Um, but you know, money and and time, uh, I'm I'm happy to stick with what I've got here. But <laughs> yeah, so that's my history with those. Now my history with comics goes back to when I was you know old enough to read words, and I was reading Star Wars comics and Superman. You know, Super Friends was on TV, so I was you know wanting comic books when I when I would see them on the stands. And so I've been reading comics since I could read. Uh, you know, going back way into you know like 77, 78. Um, just to date myself there, but, uh, more recently, uh, that's part of my career is, is comic books. I'm, I'm a comic book writer, uh, editor and letterer, but not artist because we want people to buy the books. That, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's, that's my history now. Uh, I've worked on, I've worked with Marvel and image and Zondervan and uh, a bunch of different, different publishers, but yeah, so that's. Uh, I, I still read comics. I'm now I tend to read old stuff. When I heard you were doing Action Comics Weekly, it kicked something in my brain about the Superman story. That so, that someone said, you know, you, this is a really interesting story that they did in this book that's never been collected, and that's what made me go out and start seeking these out. And I tend to read the old stuff. My one podcast about comics called the Comic Book Time Machine. I'm reading all the old Marvel sci-fi licensed books. Star Wars and John Carter and uh, some of the bad stuff that they also did, like Human Fly, but then also Godzilla, and uh, that's just been a lot of fun for me. Uh, new new material, if it sounds interesting, I'll probably wait until it's collected. So like Flashpoint, that kind of thing, I loved it because I waited until it was collected, then just read it together, and it was it didn't re- rely on all the canon and stuff from you know ages and ages and ages, but. Yeah, so that's kind of my comic book history, I guess, in a nutshell, too. Well, yeah, uh, and in terms of uh, Secret Six exposure, yours kind of mirrors mine. I think the only Secret Six comics I've ever actually read flat out were for Blackest Night, uh, when Blackest Night was doing a bunch of different crossovers. Now, to be fair, if I remember right, the Blackest Night tie-in issues of Secret Six were pretty Um, (laughs) god-awful of all the tie-in issues, to be fair. Um, now, it, for those, uh, you guys have already heard, obviously I was reading those for the Lantern cast, uh, the Green Lantern podcast I do, and, and, and Mark, my, my buddy Mark and I do now, and I was a part of before, uh, the original co-host team left, uh, so I was reading them for that, but outside of that group of Secret Six, now, obviously once we get into the story, this is a very different Secret Six from the ones you see in the comics. I intentionally went in blind with this one because I knew it was a very different Secret Six than that group that I'd experienced during Blackest Night, uh, which is the more modern interpretation. And I also, you, you mentioned the Brave and the Bold issues. The first two issues of, uh, of Secret Six are reprinted in Brave and the Bold well, 117 and 120, I believe. Um, and I was out, uh, for those of you who follow me on Facebook, I posted a picture uh, of some back issues I went and picked up the, the other day. Uh, I, I picked up several things. I picked up uh, uh, issues 1, 2, and 4 of the Wild Dog miniseries that I'm assuming, I haven't looked into it yet, but I'm assuming came out after Action Comics Weekly. I fi- picked up a couple of random issues of Blackhawk so I can have some experience with that. And I did find uh, Brave and the Bold 117. Oh. But... Cool. It was twenty dollars oh. <laughs> for a single issue. Now it's an older issue; it's a thicker issue, so probably commands that price. 
but I just couldn't bring myself to spend $20 on one issue. Plus, I figured, you know, all these other characters, save for Wild Dog, I have some experience, or in the case of Green Lantern, a great amount of experience with. But Secret Six is my kind of one opportunity within the confines of, of the Action Comics Weekly series to kind of present myself as a new reader to the storyline. Uh, so I figured I'd sort of maintain that and and just, you know, save, save myself 20 bucks right. and, and then also, you know, kind of give myself the, the opportunity to do, you know, the Secret Six cold. Um so, I mean, I guess without further ado, do you want to just go ahead and give us a synopsis for this uh, first story? I believe it's called Listen to the Mockingbird. Yeah, listen to the, or listening, listening, listening. to the Mockingbird. Yeah, and it's written by Martin Pasco and drawn by Dan Spiegel, lettered by Carrie Spiegel. I'm, I'm assuming they're probably related. <laughs> uh, colored by Carl Gafford and edited by Dick Giordano. Giordano. I'm really bad with names, sorry. Giordano. 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 Uh, yeah, so we get a page of a town getting devastated by some pretty awful rain. Uh, and when I, when I say awful rain, I mean uh, it's turning children into skeletons. That's that's pretty bad. You can't really can't get much worse with a weather pattern than that. Meanwhile, in a high-class club built in the trees, like a swanky Ewok village, I guess, um, there's uh, some people that are talking about some uh, invitations that have been sent out. They're, this this hotel, this club or whatever is going to be hosting a private party. Uh, the invitations have gone out to uh, an aging man named uh, Dr. August Durant, who is sick and taking medication. That's what we know about him. Uh, recluse named Lily de, nu- de Nueve, maybe. Um, again, name's pretty bad. Um, my friend Daniel says, just say it with confidence, and I'm not doing that right now. But she hasn't been seen in, in ages, and kind of get the impression she's kind of like a uh, Sunset Boulevard type of, of situation. Hotel owner uh, Carlo Dorenzi, de- former boxer Mike Tempest, and high-level fashion talent agent uh what's her name kit langman uh and then also former stuntman king savage who just reminds me of the fall guy the way he's talking i'm assuming these things we only get a half a page with each of these people but you know just get an idea of who these characters are uh meanwhile another group of six people is meeting in a warehouse and we don't know anything about these people other than we know one is deaf, one is blind. There's a man in a wheelchair. There's a writer with very delicate hands, a woman with a mask on her face. And uh, there's a blonde woman who comes in with one of the men. And then there's another. Um, well, and, yeah, so then they this story I means very, very quick. You just have these two groups of six people who are doing these things, and the people who are invited to the warehouse are coming to a job interview. They bicker, they fight, they don't know each other. Uh, one guy actually gets decked in the jaw by um, by the writer with really delicate hands. And uh, the fighting is interrupted by a man appearing on the screen who looks like, um, uh, unfortunately, looks <laughs> like even more like a KKK member than Cobra Commander. Um, his name is Mockingbird, he has brought them there to become the new Secret Six because I guess the old ones are old. And in the meantime, we have some businessmen who are 
kind of dealing very crassly with the situation of the acid rain uh, in the city near this plant called Technodyne, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Sounds right. Yeah, Technodyne. So that's that's chapter one of The Secret Six. What did you think of this as an introduction to these characters? Since you, I mean, and, and since you and I are both sort of approaching this from a newcomer perspective, what did you personally think of this from the newcomer uh, eye? Okay, so <laughs> this particular story right here, I'm confused. I just I don't know who anybody is. Yep. You know, they're, they're, they're just throwing. They throw twelve characters at you in how many pages? Six, seven, eight pages. 12 characters plus Mockingbird plus one of those pages goes to people in the town getting killed. I mean, that's a lot to throw at you. And so as an introductory story, this is not great to me. This is uh, it's just too much. Now, as the first eight pages of a 24 page issue, not a problem at all. Hmm. But as part of this anthology, this I was very confused. I had to read over a couple more times to just figure out, okay, who are these people? Uh, it just it just took a little while. I mean, the people in the warehouse, we don't even know their names here. Yeah. They, they, I mean, they don't know each other. But on the other hand, the confusion kind of fits the tone of what's happening. You know, these guys are meeting this warehouse. They don't know why they're there. They don't know each other. And so there is an element of... You know, kind of being out of the know with the characters. Yeah, that's that's true. What do you think of it? Because I think part of the confusion not doesn't just necessarily have to do with the sheer amount of characters in this eight-page story, but I feel like you said you're you you said you work in uh, and do some of your duties as an editor, right? Mm-hmm. What do you feel about the way these scenes are cut? I mean, it's kind of it's kind of confusing, right? I mean, it's very clearly because we've all been we've all been you know watching various TV shows over the years, and it's very clearly a sequence where someone you know in the current narrative drops a name, and you cut to a scene of that character, and then right. they they you cut back to the current action, and they say another name, and cut to a scene with that character. It does. It, I mean, it's obviously that sequence of events, but it doesn't really play as well in the comic book. No, it doesn't. And part of that isn't just the writing, though. It's it's also the way the panel layouts work. Mm. And they're jamming a lot of panels in some of these pages, too. But the panel layouts take you, you know, they kind of do the S-curve mm. thing where you, you, you go left to right. But then another panel comes where you're actually reading over then to the left again and then back to the right. And then, you know, there's this upward and downward movement. But it, this is not something that's a casual read. Because of the way the things you're talking about there, um, it is it's jarring as you're moving from place to place, and they don't always go back to the current action. They sometimes just use captions to do that, and and so caption dialogue. It's just the the stuff where they're introducing the old Secret Six. That's where all that's happening, yeah. and that's where it's a little bit hard to follow. The new Secret Six because they're all together in a room. Then we're back into just normal strictly linear storytelling and that's much easier to follow even though in that situation we don't know any of their names or any of their backstory yeah um as far as far as the characters themselves go i i have no particular attachment to to any of these characters as a matter of fact you know having read ahead a little bit uh you know just the next couple of issues 
I don't even know why this group is even here in the first place. Uh, in, in, in the beginning, uh, this group, like you said, meeting in the sort of a swanky Ewok village. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't understand why they're there at all. Um, I mean, I figure there's a way to to tell this, to introduce these old characters, or to reintroduce these old characters without this weird party. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I don't, I don't. Maybe you could do it from Mockingbird's perspective, and Mockingbird could be uh, in silhouette or something. And you don't get a full reveal until you see, you know, Mockingbird later on with the with the group that will become hopefully the new Secret Six. Um, but I just I don't know why they're there. It's I mean, in in an issue or in a story that's already filled with so many characters and concepts and everything, and plus you got the people behind Technodyne. Well, then <laughs> why add these characters who we're presumably not going to see again? Yeah, I don't know. It, it's the it's very it's 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 rough it's a rough open uh because it's just you know we're not getting any action we're just getting lots of introductions mm. and you know with the rest of the issue with the action comics weekly you know you have your green lantern story while well, green lantern's doing green lantern stuff you know and so even if you didn't know green lantern he's doing green lantern stuff and you know not to jump ahead here on you but you know superman he's doing superman stuff and yeah. And Secret Six, what are they doing? They're showing up for meetings. Mm. And and so if I was, you know, just picking this up off the off the spinner rack, and I wouldn't have, uh, to be honest, uh, the cover price. I mean, we're talking about me back then. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, a dollar fifty. Um, it's a weekly comic. I'm I'm I would not pick it up because I know I would not get the other books you know i i would miss i would miss some issues and so i wouldn't know what's going on from chapter to chapter in an anthology now that's why i love you know my collecting of comics now is you pick up a run you know you, you grab a run of comics and you get the full story you don't have to worry about missing you know a month where you didn't get to go to the bookstore yeah or or the the gas station or whatever um but if I was buying this, this would be probably the one that I would be least interested in. And yet, looking at the high concept here, it just seems like this should be something I'm really interested in. You know, it's it's a covert team of operatives. But what is that? I don't know anything about that here. <laughs> they they give you a little introduction in the uh, Action Comics Weekly, you know, letters page or whatever, and that's more interesting than the story we get here in this issue. Um, but I don't want to sound too down on this. It's just this chapter doesn't work for me without the rest of the stuff. And I have read ahead as well. And so spoiler, you know, for, for the next episode, but it gets better. Yeah, for sure. I <laughs> so, definitely, I definitely like, because I, you know, in doing, in, I, I kind of want my research of action comics weekly and the history surrounding the series to sort of evolve itself naturally. Um, as I may have mentioned already, but uh, I just kind of, you know, I, I did a, a cur kind of cursory research. It was more also uh, the weekly series, but also a, a difference in tone, a difference in visual tone as well. And I love that of uh, of the the rest of the the stories in the series, um, at least as far as like the first nine or so issues are, are concerned, this is very distinctly tonally different. 
Uh, it's, I mean, especially with the Secret Six logo on top of a, you know, even though it's a well-lit party in the forest, it's sort of like, it's almost like a horror mystery title. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so it looks very, especially that first page, um, you know, it's got a, a decomposing body and, you know, you know, dark clouds and, you know, skeletons and lightning crashing and, you know, all that stuff. It's very distinctly kind of 60s drama, which is, you know, perfect because it's Dan Spiegel doing the art anyways. Uh, and he's, you know, of that era of comic books. So it's it, it, fits, it fits perfectly artistically. Um, uh, you know, Mockingbird being f- first introduced to to uh, the character of Mockingbird in this particular comic, uh, jarring, <laughs> just like yeah. oh, okay. well, well, the uh, the clan's involved here, which doesn't help things when you realize that uh, all the members of the new Secret Six, at least, seem to be white. <laughs> um. But, you know, I'll try not to make as very many clan references because this is very clearly of a, of a, of a time uh, in terms right, of concept. It, it's definitely not intended to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, but here's the thing. In this first story, we don't know who this guy is or what his agenda is. Uh, other than he wants them to become, he says, you know, I want you to become the new Secret Six. But I see a hooded face. <laughs> you know, the... The person who lives in the real world thinks clan, and then the person who lives in the fantasy world thinks Cobra. So, <laughs> and Cobra Commander was around. Hooded Cobra Commander was around when this Action Comics Weekly came out, uh, but it wasn't around when the original came out. And so, yeah, I, and I don't know. I I don't know about the original. So, um. I, I, I just I think uh, Mockingbird is a part of that, but I don't know who Mockingbird is. Yeah, that's 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 a good segue actually, because the original team of Secret Six, which you obviously see reintroduced here before we meet the the future new team, um, I believe it was published in the early uh, the late '60s, like about 1968 or so. Um, and by the time that series got canceled, we actually never got. I mean, Mockingbird was a part of it. But Mockingbird was never revealed who okay. who Mockingbird really was. Uh, evidently, uh, I, I was able to remain unspoiled, but evidently in this series within Action Comics Weekly, you will find out who Mockingbird is. Uh, but in the original series, there was there was ever there was never any resolution to who is Mockingbird. All right, well. That's interesting. I mean, I I look forward to finding that out because uh, I, I I don't know what his agenda is. And in this chapter, you don't know is he good, is he bad. Um, you don't know anything. So, For sure. So so you think uh, just you know just as a as a as a as a reader and as somebody in the comics industry, this this sort of feels like you think you think uh, you think Martin Pasco and, and Dan Spiegel kind of did this as a regular 22 24 page story and then just turned it in in, in the chunks I, I don't I, I don't think so uh, because this very you know this has that eight page you know that that eighth page is the ending of a almost a cliffhanger and and so I, I don't it doesn't feel to me like it was written to be 24 pages but if it had been 24 pages I wouldn't have minded the confusion I'm feeling right now 
in, in reading this, this first story because it would be cleared up for me, you know, just later on in the issue instead of, you know, after I close this book and open a new one. Um, so when I read this alone, as I was reading through this, this issue of action comics weekly, I'm thinking, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> I, I told Chad I'd do this, but I don't know if I'm going to like this. <laughs> and so that's why I do want to clarify you know, that spoiler. that I, I do end up liking Secret Six more. This is the introduction. And without this, you know, I probably wouldn't like you know, the, the second chapter as much. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just feel like they maybe were rushed or just we're trying to having a hard time figuring out how do we introduce two teams of six to people who, you know, because that's the other thing I was thinking of is you said it was 68 that the uh, original series came out mm-hmm. and action comics weekly is 88. So 20 years later, like is anybody clamoring for a return of a team that only appeared in half a dozen issues in the sixties? Uh, and, and so it's not like they're building on, a well-known mythology or, or anything like that where, Oh yeah, we, you wanted to know where those guys were 20 years later. And so that's, it's just a weird, the whole thing, action comics weekly in general, is just kind of weird to me uh, that it exists. And, and what I was, I'm, I don't know what they were trying to do and I can't wait to actually listen to this episode so I can hear some of the more of the background of things. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just the the whole thing is is such a unique, strange thing, and I, um, I've been very excited just to once I realized what I was getting into as far as reading, I'm excited to read, you know. Um, but it, yeah, I, I don't know what the intention was. I assume though that they knew they were writing for a weekly book and that they were going to do eight page chapters because it feels like this is self contained as far as a chapter. It's just it's just a rough start. For sure. And I will say this, um, the, I have the entire series in single issue floppy format. I have all the issues hard copy. I also have all the issues digitally. Uh, and because I didn't feel like rummaging through my back issue box, I, I was reading this digitally. And for this first page story, I was thinking that my digital pages were out of order when I started reading this story with that first page. Because it really ties into essentially nothing else in this particular in this particular uh, story. Well, and I'll be honest, when I read this, I didn't read that first page the first time as part of this story. I thought we started on the page two. I wasn't looking at the page numbers. I just mm-hmm. there's the title, Secret Six. There's the title of the story, Listening to the Mockingbird. There's the credits. So I started with page two, and then got to the end and realized I skipped a page. Because they're talking about this acid rain throughout the whole thing, you know, with news reports, and then at the very end, and I'm like, I don't remember seeing anything about acid rain, and then flip back, oh, here's the page right here, that awful, awful page of a child dying in the rain. But and essentially, probably the whole schoolyard, because you see these of these girls here, mm-hmm. you know, this one, this one we see is a very particular one who's rushing because it's actually kind of cool. The way she's rushing away from her blonde-headed friend in the ponytails, you can see the truck facing a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then you see that same truck, assume, I'm assuming the, the same truck, and her on the other side of it already face down. 
didn't even get to the other side. Didn't even fully get to the sidewalk yet. Well, I think that's her blonde friend. You think that's her blonde friend? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She's wearing the vest. Yeah, and it's, well, they, they it's going to rain, mm-hmm. and their dad, uh, there was something, they left the deck chairs out or something like that. And she yeah, was, the one that runs away is like, yeah. I left the deck chairs out. Mom will kill me, and then acid rain. Which, by the way, is that even an issue anymore? I don't think I've ever experienced acid rain in my entire life. You know, it used to be a thing. I remember back in the 80s as a kid getting really upset about acid rain because I, I grew up in Canada and we moved uh, to the States. And then I started hearing these these news reports about, you know, the chemicals going up into the clouds and then going and uh, destroying forests in, in Canada. And I, I really upset. I almost wrote a <laughs> I almost wrote a letter to the president about how beautiful the Canadian forests are and what are you doing. Uh, I just never got around to it. I was too lazy. But Young Ben course, Avery, activist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and, 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 you know, we're going to find out uh, more about this, but right now there's there's some sort of cover-up going on, and, and uh, it's, you know, obviously we're getting some bad businessmen because, you know, business is evil. <laughs> All right. Do you have anything else to say about this story? Not really. I mean, I, <laughs> uh, I, I'm more excited to talk about the next one with you. So <laughs> for sure, for sure. So I'll come well, back next time, but for sure. Well, and, until next time, where can people find you on the, across the internet? Well, uh, in, a, in a number of different places. My my main website kind of stinks, but it's benavery.com, and that's where you can order the books that I've worked on and stuff like that. Uh, but for my podcasting, you can go to uh, Comic Book Time Machine, where I talk about a number of different comics with my co-hosts, uh, Daniel and Matt. And my main project over there is reading through Star Wars from the 70s to 86. But while I'm doing that, I'm also reading every month the other science fiction licensed comics that Marvel did. Um, so I haven't got to the good stuff yet, except for John Carter, which is amazing. So, so good. John Carter is so, so good. If you can get your hands on that hardcover omnibus, get it. It is amazing, amazing stuff. Uh, then you can also find me at strangersandaliens.com where I have a podcast about science fiction and fantasy and Christianity. And then I also have a podcast called Welcome to Level 7 at welcometolevel7.com. The 7 is spelled out. And Welcome to Level 7 is about the MCU where we go through every episode and every movie of everything that is related to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so right now we're doing the Agent Carter stuff. Um, although I'm not sure when this episode is going to go out. So maybe it's after Agent Carter's done. In that case, we'll be talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but we also do all the Netflix stuff and, and any of the Marvel movies that come out. That's where you can find me. All right. Awesome. Uh, so next time around, we'll obviously be continuing the, Se- the Secret Six story, uh, and we'll have, you, we'll have you back, obviously, to, to talk about that. Uh, so uh, listeners can, can look forward to that particular, <laughs> that particular bit, and uh, we're going to take a real, real quick break, and when we come back, we'll be talking about Superman. Guys, we finally developed our time machine. Should we use it to go back and see how Stonehenge was built? Or become friends with Hitler and convince him to stay in art school? Or we could go back in time and get the comic books we missed. Yeah! Yeah! The Comic Book Time Machine. A journey back in time to explore comic books. Good and bad. Whether from seven decades ago or seven days ago. Join our journey at Comic Book Time Machine dot com.
All right, and fresh off the heels of the Secret Six story in Action Comics Weekly 601, we are greeted with Superman. And since we're talking Superman, you know I could not talk about Superman without the keeper of Kryptonian knowledge himself, Michael <laughs> Bailey. Hey, Michael, how you doing? I, I appreciate that, the keeper of Kryptonian. I'm going to put that on my business card. <laughs> I, I, that, that, that's, that, that's great. I'm, 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 that'll be on Facebook by the end of the night. It really <laughs> Well, this uh, there's more of that. <laughs> there's more where that came from. <laughs> Just giving you a heads up for future episodes. <laughs> I look forward to that. <laughs> uh, so we are talking about the Superman double page spread in the Action Comics Weekly series. And Michael will be on with me for several of these. Now, just because it's the first episode of the show, we have to ask everybody, just like any other podcast, what is your history with the character and comics in general? Oh, good God. Um, I, I can do the short version of this. The, uh, I was raised on the Super Friends and Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends and the Incredible Hulk television series. And I, I was a really big Batman fan as a kid, uh, which is kind of my deep, dark secret is that I started out as this huge Batman fan. But I love Superman because I had the Christopher Reeve films and he was on the Super Friends and all that. And whenever the movies would come on HBO or, or network television, I would always be glued to it. But I wasn't really a big comics person, uh, except for flirting with it a little bit before 1987, uh, when I discovered Action Comics number 591 and Superman number 8. Uh, which was a, a two-part story that I had seen at the orthodontist's office because uh, another, this isn't a deep, dark secret, I had a jacked-up grill as a kid. I mean, my, my teeth were a horror show, as were, to uh, to lesser extent, my sisters. So they were older and were into orthodontics before I was. And the orthodontist's office that we went to was covered in comic books. I mean, the kids' area, the the regular uh, waiting room area, and even back where you were seen, there was comic books just everywhere. And because I had seen these Superman books, I started picking them up on a regular basis, and that is the start of the addiction that continues to this day. (laughs) But the Superman books were the first ones that I followed. Oddly enough, not Action Comics Weekly. Uh, well, because... you, you, your first issue, you said five ninety. That was like ten issues before this, right? Mm-hmm. So... Yes. Yeah, I was. I, I remember the house ads because they're awesome. Actually, I love the house ads for this series and and all of the ads, like the subscription ads for them, uh, which I, I'm, I'm assuming you've seen. Yes. Uh, just weird, beyond compare, but. I was mainly a newsstand kid mm-hmm. uh, because I, I didn't know where the comic shop was. I wasn't really aware of comic shops as a thing. And Action Comics Weekly was not available on the on the stands. Now, the orthodontist had it, so I'd like read the odd issue here and there, but it was never like a going concern until about 1996 when I decided, okay, I consider myself a Superman fan, I'm going to read all of the titles, including all of like the peripheral titles, and I'm going to fill in my Action Comics Weekly run, which on paper sounded easy. And most of them were. I mean, I, I found, and they were cheap, too. I'm not going to lie. 
But the 642, man, I could not find. I couldn't find it anywhere. I couldn't find it when I went visiting back home in the north and all the comic shops there. I mean, this thing didn't exist as far as I was concerned. I had seen a copy, but I, I just assumed that all of them had been destroyed because I couldn't find it. It was it was just maddening. And I enlisted the help of the manager of the comic shop I went to, and he finally went to their warehouse and found two copies. Sold me one for like three bucks, which I felt like I overpaid. But this was around the time, like right after Final Night went down. Mm. So Hal Jordan was kind of a thing again. And that man put an $8 price tag on the the bag for this, put it on the wall behind the register, and put a sticky note in it that said, Death of Hal Jordan, and sold it. That's some shysty stuff. I, I was impressed. I was like, that's, that, that's good salesmanship right there. But, <laughs> you know, it's just funny, because you would have thought, as a kid, this would have been one of my jams, but it wasn't. And, man, the Superman portion of this is just odd. I mean, not bad, just really strange in an anthology book like this. Right. Well, before before we get into that, because I do, it, it's a perfect segue, but I don't want to segue and then come back to your previous point. So, okay. My my experience with comics, uh, it just for for you in particular, you might appreciate appreciate some of this. Is I have a, I had a group of uh, like five comic books when I was a kid, and I probably got into this at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> peek behind the curtain none of these are being recorded in the way you you're listening to them listeners (laughs) but anyways i i was i had a group of comics i had there was a a a valiant and dark horse crossover where nexus and magnus the robot fighter teamed up and i had the second issue of that uh i also had the marvel masterworks reprint of the first appearance of the x-men i had miss marvel number one and i had couple other things union number one <laughs> of all things wow. <laughs> uh, no i think it was zero union number zero that was the hollow foil cover or whatever um uh, and 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 a couple other things well my first superman comic was the and his name is helgramite issue and now i don't remember off the top of my head what that was i don't know if it was superman it's a, or action it's an comics. action it's an action comics issue it was uh, written by roger stern uh, was that the one that he was get that he had a guest writer on? But it was drawn by um, Jackson Geis and Dennis Rodier. Mm-hmm. I love that issue actually. <laughs> it features Helgramite up on the top of the cover, peering down on mm-hmm. Superman. Uh, I remember that because I think he was visiting an orphanage and then he got pulled underground or something like that. Uh, so that's that's my experience, my first experience with Superman. Now, obviously, he's an icon. And it's been sort of, you know, he's he's pervasive everywhere, uh, you know, ever since I got into comics. So there's not really any particular storyline I can point to. Although I am quite fond of the uh, uh, new Krypton storyline segment of everything. The, the new Krypton, the uh, world of Krypton, the, you know, all, all of that stuff. I have, that's, that's, my, that's my probably favorite uh, era of Superman that I own personally since I personally have gotten into comics and I've only been reading comics regularly for about seven or eight years. Um, 
I, I was wrong, by the way. It was Bob McLeod that was the artist on that issue. Uh, Roger Stern did write it, and Helgramit was part of a, a plot to kill Lex Luthor II. There you go. Yeah, because I remember uh, the red-headed Lex Luthor, uh, the young guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the clone... That is his own. That that is his own son. Which I never found out until I listened to the BBC radio drama "Death of Superman" thing. It was wacky. <laughs> it was awesome, but it was wacky. <laughs> but uh, speaking of, speaking of action, so the action comic stuff. Now we get six to eight pages of Green Lantern, Secret Six, Blackhawk, all of this stuff. Superman is reduced to a single double-page spread per issue. In the comic that he was born in, mm-hmm. why? Tell us why. Well, I, I, I'm not sure of the exact reason, but I do remember reading that one of the ideas behind the Superman segment was that it would be a callback to Sunday comics, uh, you know, where basically you had like you know the, the the three panel strips during the week, but on the weekends on Sunday. You'd have the color section where it would be kind of a larger story. And Superman, uh, like Batman and, and, and other characters, including Spider-Man, but especially Superman, had a really long history as a comic strip character. Uh, they've actually been reprinting lately uh, in really nice volumes the, the, the 60, 50s and 60s iteration of the uh, Superman newspaper strip. So I think the idea was... You know, to kind of give these other characters some room, since Action Comics was originally an anthology title, it makes sense. You know, they were taking it back to its roots, but also to give Kurt Swan some regular uh, Superman artwork, uh, since this is, you know, this is a weird, this isn't a weird time, but it's it's an interesting time for Superman. By the time this issue came out, uh, Superman number twenty. And Adventures of Superman number four forty three uh, are uh, are the ones that are on the stands. And oddly enough, Who's Who update eighty eight number one came out in this month, which is was just covered as of this recording by uh, Rob and Shag on the uh, Who's Who update eighty whatever they're calling that podcast now. They keep they keep changing the name. I swear to God, Axel Alonso must be their editor in chief or something. But that was a terrible joke. <laughs> but no, the the idea was just to kind of do a, a different type of Superman story. And Roger Stern, uh, who wrote all of the uh, the two page strips, had written a Lois Lane story in Action Comics Weekly. And the same month, the, the first four issues of Action Comics or Action Comics number six hundred, excuse me. And in the same month that the first four issues of Action Comics Weekly came out, Superman Annual Number 2 was published, and that was his first, like, full Superman story that brought back the idea of Cadmus and the Guardian and the Newsboy Legion. So Superman was trucking along just fine. It was kind of like the very end. I mean, we're like three months away from Byrne not being on the title anymore. And Roger Stern taking over as writer of Superman, and Jerry Ordway uh, not only penciling but also writing Adventures of Superman. So, in in a lot of ways, even though it was Superman's book, you know, it, he was not 
I guess they figured he was well represented elsewhere. And I don't know what the sales figures are. I know that before the death, things were getting a little dicey. So another theory I've always had is that maybe they were taking the Superman books down to just two of them and having him appear in action because you can't have Superman not in action unless Dan DiDio is publisher. <laughs> and then you have uh, Nightwing and Flamebird, which Greg Rucka, so I'm not going to complain. It was the best, better part of the new Krypton saga, in my opinion, uh, was, uh, was, was his chapters. But I, I think it was just a, a way to kind of do a retro storytelling that just, I never know how to react to these stories. You know, thankfully they, you know, they, they released a really handsome trade paperback, uh, Superman, the power within that reprints all these things, all these strips, but it's just really bizarre to kind of read them because you're, you're, you're going from one type of comic book reading experience to a completely different one where the storytelling rules are, have to be so radically changed that you can't read these while you're... It, I don't know. I haven't read Action Comics Weekly like the full run in about 20 years. So what is it like to for, for the new person to like read like six and eight page stories and then get to this one? Since you're reading all of them. It's, it's jarring. Um, it's, I mean, keeping in mind that I'm coming from this as... Uh, in, into this as somebody who has a cursory knowledge of essentially all of this uh, without having read it all. Uh, so, I mean, I'm reading all of this, and I'm, I'm of the mind and of the generation. Like I said, I've only started reading comics consistently in the past uh, seven, eight years. But because of how, quote-unquote, recent into the comics industry I am and, and my buying habits and everything, I am already used to the whole idea of writing for the trade. So I look at these as six, eight-page chunks, and I go, wait, did somebody just write a whole issue and then just break it up? And then I look at this and go, I, I, it's, a, it's, it's jarring because you're, you're kind of – by the time you get to this particular story in the, in the comic book, you're already used to the, the layout a little bit. Um, and then you get to this and you're like, okay, so it's you, – you, you turn the page and you're like, okay, and you read it and you go – Oh, it already says continued next week. All right. Um, and then you look at it and you go, this is action comics and Superman is in the, the main guy on the cover here. And he's only got a double page spread. <laughs> I don't think that makes and, sense and it, to me. And it's really weird, too, because this being a weekly book to begin with and having such an odd publishing schedule... It had to be completely separate from what was going on in the main books because, like, for this month is when Superman teams up with the Doom Patrol uh, to fight Met uh, Metallo, uh, who had uh, tried to take over Robot Man's body, essentially. And over in Adventures of Superman, number 443, you have this story involving a character named Husk that was actually supposed to be an annual, but... The Adventures of Superman annual never happened that that year, so they just put that part of the that story, and basically you had a thirty page comic story instead. No ads, just 
it was really weird when we covered it. And right from there, you're going into the Supergirl saga, which is where he travels to the alternate reality and kills the Kryptonian villains and goes a little nutty over the next six or seven months. And then you get into exile where he's not on, he's not even on Earth. So there is really no way to tie this two-page strip into that. So it really exists in its own world at a time where the Superman books were becoming more and more linked. So it's this oddity on a number of levels. Yeah, it's 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 definitely interesting. <laughs> I can I can I can tell you that much and as we go through it eventually I'll 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 ask, you know, uh, I'll ask a a particular question as as it relates to a certain blockbuster movie coming out I'm assuming in the next uh, or <laughs> might already be out <laughs> by the time people hear this I have no idea. <laughs> so without further ado, do you want to tell people the brief synopsis for the first storyline here from uh, from 601? Well, it, it it's the story title was Faster Than a Speeding Bullet, uh, written by Roger Stern, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by John Beatty, lettered by Bill Oakley, uh, colored by Tom Zioko, and Mike Carlin was the editor, and he was the editor of the regular Superman books at the time. And we open on Clark Kent having a cup of coffee, uh, watching the sunset and kind of appreciating the sounds of the city when he hears a call for help and using his telescopic vision, he sees a man being chased by a car. So, you know, one shirt rip later, he's flying out to help them. The gunmen get out of the car, confront their would-be victim and open fire. But wouldn't you know it, Superman shows up just in time to have the bullets bounce off his chest and save the man's life. Uncanny. <laughs> Oh, man. I got to ask you right off the bat as a Superman fan. When Superman does the whole, I'm Clark Kent and rip the shirt open, is he doing that at super speed so nobody can see him? Because even though he's on top of the Daily Planet, there are other buildings of equal or greater height than the Daily Planet. And I don't know about you, but I am constantly looking around and noticing things out of the corner of my eye. So even if I'm at a dead-end office job in one of these buildings in Metropolis... I'm going to notice the flash of blue suddenly out of the corner of my eye on top of the neighboring Daily Planet building. Um, I always took that the shirt rip was for the audience and not for not really happening in you know like like you said it's happening at super speed. So he's undressing and we're just seeing the snapshot of the moment that he opens his shirt because it it's now iconic. I mean the shirt rip is one of those things that if it's one of the few failings, well, that's not quite true. It's one of my problems with man of steel as a film is that we didn't get a shirt rip, which I always associate with Superman. You could have worked that in somehow. It was one of the worst parts of Superman returns. As a matter of fact, is we get the worst shirt rip ever. There's a little right there at the, at the, um, when he goes to save the space plane and I could go tell a whole story about that, but we're trying to stick to the story to stick to the comics, but no, it's just, I, I never get tired of it. I will say John bait. Uh, uh, I want to say Beatty, but it might be Beatty, uh, is not the best inker for Kurt Swan. Uh, I feel like he really kind of drowns out 
Kurt Swan's story, uh, the, the fine line of Kurt Swan's artwork. And it's going to continue that way until Murphy Anderson down the road starts inking him. And the artwork, I think, takes a serious upswing in, in quality. I mean, it's not bad artwork. Uh, Kurt Swan, you know, at this time was comparatively stiff. Uh, when you look at, you know, John Byrne or Jerry Ordway or down the road, you know, Dan Jurgens is going to come on. But to me, Swan is like one of the quintessential Superman mm-hmm. artists. He's one of the few men that drew him for 30 years on a consistent basis. So I think he's not served well by John Beatty's inks. And I think that's why some of the, like like the shot of him flying down towards them looks incredibly stiff. Mm-hmm. It's not really dynamic. But you can tell that Swan was trying to be, especially in that last panel, when Superman lands in front of the gunmen who are... It's, wow, we've got like three 80s fashions all like lumped together on this page. We've got the guy you know, in the sport coat and the, the button down with no tie. we got the normal looking guy. And then we got the guy that looks like he's about to go to the club. I get the feeling, yeah, after after he was going to kill this guy, the dude in the white jacket, black shirt, and white tie was going to go hit some discotheque and hear whatever crappy music was being played in dance clubs in 1988. I'm sure they were... Uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure my friend Bob Fisher could tell me uh, what was being played in the, in the clubs at that point because he was a DJ at one point. So <laughs> be nice to know. So what do you think of this as, a, as the quote-unquote introductory Superman story for this this new direction for Action Comics. I, I, I like that Stern took, you know, a good, like, three panels to just kind of establish Clark Kent. Clark Kent was more of a, a thing at this point. I like, you know, him, like, sitting there and watching the city at sunrise, you know, taking a quiet moment and using his super hearing to overhear thing, you know, basically to, to immerse himself in the music of the city. And, you know, you've got people... You know, you got a little kid, you got somebody complaining that somebody's moving too slow, you got somebody giving directions, you got somebody telling a joke that's probably awful. Uh, and then he says, I was talking to the duck! And there's probably tittered laughter. And apparently somebody's watching the Flintstones. <laughs> so then you get to him hearing a cry for help and going to to save somebody's life. So it's it's a pretty pretty standard Superman story so far. Now, I don't know why it's popping into my mind, but was the whole WGBS thing in play at this point? No, this was uh, this was post-crisis. Okay. WGBS came up in, 19, in the very end of 1970 uh, when Morgan Edge bought the Daily Planet. Okay. And Clark Kent, for most of the 70s, was not a newspaper reporter. He was a uh, TV reporter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was... This was in an era where Clark was firmly just a mild, well, not um, not so mild-mannered reporter working at a great metropolitan newspaper. Yeah, because he's got a, I don't know, I don't know if this is the right word, but he's got a, an almost weathered Clark Kent face. You know what I mean? That's Swan, though. Yeah. Swan, uh, one of my things about Swan that I will say one of my few criticisms is sometimes he would draw Superman and Clark to look like they were middle-aged. Mm-hmm. And I felt that's one of the reasons that the character might have slipped during the Bronze Age is that he really wasn't keeping up with the times artistically, especially in the 80s, when you had John Byrne and 
George Perez and, and Frank Miller kind of like tearing up the newsstands, you know, you go to Superman and the guy looks like your dad. Mm. And I'm not saying that's bad because I love, like, for example, I love the George Reeves television series where he's an older guy playing Superman. But I think in the comics it just doesn't work. Uh, so here you have a you have a Clark Kent that looks a little older than he's currently being portrayed in the books. Yeah. All right. Do you have anything else to say about this particular double page spread? Um, that turtleneck that the guy who's being chased is wearing is unfortunate. And given that we know where this is going, I mean, we're not going to say anything here, but given that we know where this is going, I'm wondering if this and. I don't know very many details, but I'm wondering if this is a uniform. It might be. Uh, it's been a while since I've read this whole thing. So I, I get the feeling that it, it's at least something that this guy... He's dressing like somebody who might be part of something. Yes. Like, not everybody else wears it, but he's dressing a part. Yeah. So... That's, that's where I'll leave that. All right. Well, guys, the, obviously this is the first episode of this podcast, and everything is being worked out as far as what works, what doesn't, and, and so on and so forth. Well, when it comes to the Superman stories in particular, they're double-page spreads, and there's not much we can do to, other than analyzing it line by line, to make them as long as your regular segment that you're going to hear in this show. So Michael is going to be appearing with me several different times to talk about the Superman segments because that's his jam, is Superman. And But as you can tell, he's got a wealth of knowledge. So I don't want to just stick him on the side of Superman. So eventually, down the road, we'll hear him on other segments where we can talk more about stuff, and he's not a wasted talent. So with that in mind... I have no idea what to do with this particular segment to make it more entertaining for you guys. So if you can think of a cool segment name, some kitschy music, if somebody out there wants to come up with a theme song or, you know, something like, you know, like a little cartoon, you know, 15, you know, there's those little 15 minute shorts have their own little, you know, quick, you know, 10 second little diddly. I don't know. I don't know what we can do. For this single double page spread. But if anybody has any ideas out there, feel free to send them in. In the meantime, just know that when we cover Superman, it's going to be a shorter segment than your usual fare in this series. So I just wanted to let you guys know that. Now, before we go on to the next story and go into break, where can people find you, Michael? Uh, easiest place would be uh, viewsfromlongbox.com, uh, which has a new site or a newer looking site uh, because I had to abandon the old one because of hackers. Or, uh, and there it's it's a regular podcast where I talk about whatever is striking my comic book fancy at the time. I, I don't know when this episode's going to appear uh, to come out, but I, I will be having doing something for the lead up to Batman v Superman. And I have some plans for the lead-up to uh, both the Captain America Civil War and the X-Men Apocalypse film, uh, to one degree or another. Also, more germane, if you want to hear more about this era of Superman, listen to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which I co-host with my good friend Jeffrey Taylor. Uh, and you can find that at fortressofbailytude.com. And we have basically been, since 2009, 
going through the post-crisis Superman an issue at a time. We, we, we at this point, take about a half month at a time because uh, doing four books plus all the ancillary stuff, every episode would break me as an mm-hmm. editor. Uh, I'd, I'd probably shoot somebody and, and, and not anybody in my house. So I, and I don't, I wouldn't do well in jail, but at the point of this recording, we are heading deeper into 1995. So I don't know where we're going to be when the show comes out, but we're, we're almost halfway through our mandate, uh, which is kind of amazing considering the sheer number of books we have to talk about, but, uh, that's pretty much it. Awesome. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to come back with everybody's favorite Spectre, Dead Man. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am still kind of a bad geek. Not a fan of anime, never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I ventured a little further into the worlds of Star Wars and Star Trek, and I've even managed to watch a little Doctor Who. I've also managed to not watch a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is. A crippling addiction that I may never recover from. Back in 2007, I started a podcast called Views from the Long Box to deal with this borderline personality disorder. Every week or so, I pick a particular comic or issue or character or whatever to talk about them, and then, well, I I talk about them. It's kind of what a podcast is. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I'm joined by my semi-regular co-host, the Irredeemable Shag, or Thomas DJ, and the permanent semi-regular co-host, Andrew Leyland, and sometimes another friend from the podcasting and comic book world stops by to chat. The show is located at www viewsfromthelongbox.com where you can find old episodes and show notes and links to my other internet endeavors. You can also find the show on Facebook and I'm on Twitter under the handle at Bailey's Podcasts. Views from the Long Box. A podcast about comic books or a desperate cry for help. You decide. Every Tuesday or so at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com All right, guys, we are back from break, and we are talking about Dead Man. And as you've already been able to tell since throughout this first episode, I'm bringing a bunch of people on to help talk about these various characters, and this segment is no different. I have brought along to talk with me about Dead Man fellow blogger extraordinaire Doug Javisha. How you doing, sir? Doing great, Chad. Thank you. How you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. Thank you uh, so much for deciding to, to come on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, you know, I kind of I kind of already knew that when it came down to uh, Dead Man, you'd probably be one of the first to jump at the opportunity. <laughs> Definitely. Anytime Boston's involved, I'll take a good long look at it. <laughs> for sure. So why don't you tell people what your history with the character is and with comics kind of in general? Oh, wow. Um, history with Dead Man specifically, as far as any sort of journalistic integrity goes, uh, I did the Secret Origins podcast, shameless plug there for Mr. Daly. <laughs> this whole, uh, this whole podcast is a sh- shameless plug for Daly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm stealing his format for a different podcast. <laughs> All right. And then... Uh, then, well, Dead Man is a, he's a creation of Arnold Drake, who also created the Doom Patrol. And Doom Patrol is my little 
niche on the blogosphere, even though it is sorely neglected. Notice I didn't say podcastosphere because that's waiting for doom. That's Paul and Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Dead, Dead Man hooks into Doom Patrol very tangentially and not tangent comics. But, you know, he's kind of he's another one of those oddball characters that needs somewhere to go. So I, I took him in a little bit. <laughs> Not as much as I probably can or should, but uh, there's still time. That's right. Me personally, now, see, you you know more about him than I do. I am a passionate fan, and I consider Boston to be one of my favorite characters in the DC Universe. We're talking top five uh, for sure. Um, but I don't I don't know as much about him, haven't read as, as much with him as you know sort of everybody else i it's just it's more of a every time i encounter him i absolutely love it regardless of quality <laughs> well we're about to hear some of that uh quality right now <laughs> yeah so you know i just you know i just like it's like the idea um there are times i get fed up with him a little bit but i never i never kind of toss him aside you know when he starts cursing the heavens as you know and cursing rama then uh that's, you know, I, I, it becomes a little played out because it happens all the time. And I just kind of, oh, really, do we have to do this with Boston? But at the same time, you know, I, I can't I can't let Boston go. It's my it's my uh, one of my favorite characters, period. And, uh, you know, you know, yeah, I, I have a penchant for the the, uh, the mystical side of things. Uh, Certainly. So I've got, you know, my Phantom Stranger, my Dead Man and, of course, you know, my Ragman. Speaking of Ragman, this is not the first time you and I have sort of teamed up. <laughs> true, true. First time in a podcast for sure. Yes, sir. But uh, Doug actually wrote a post for me over on my Ragman blog when I uh, didn't know about much about uh, the whole Red Tornado thing. You're, you're everywhere, man. Doom Patrol, <laughs> Dead Man. I, I am everywhere, and that's kind of a problem. <laughs> it, it winds up – what it winds up being is too many pots cooking and nothing getting into any of them. <laughs> uh, and right now I, I was reviewing for CBR and stepped away from them and I'm over at Comicosity now. So, you know, it's still out there, still doing stuff. It, it doesn't give me much opportunity to, to work on the blogs, uh, migratesadventure80.blogspot.com, which is a Doom Patrol dedicated blog, or uh, the woefully neglected from birth, Tales of My Greatest Strange Adventures, yes, <laughs> I uh, could not have come up with a longer, dumber title for that one. Blogspot.com. So, and it's not longer, dumber title. As a matter of fact, the uh, the last post that I put out on Tales of My Greatest Strange Adventures is a Dead Man post. It's one of those super team families. Ah, yes. Which, those are amazing. The the team ups that weren't lots of fun. Have to pardon me for uh, vamping on this one a little bit, but the super team family blog from Ross Pearsall. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, those are so much fun. This one that's on the last post that I put out on uh, Tales of My Greatest Strange Adventures is Batman, Dead Man, and Muhammad Ali. Nice. Who wouldn't want to read that? That's, that's true. I, I particularly enjoy, he, he does a lot of Ragman uh, ones for that. I mean, well, not a lot, but uh, more more than you'd think somebody who comes up with that concept. You know, the amount of times he's used Ragman, I'm thinking, he must he's Got to know a little bit about that character. Yeah, Ragman's one of those characters with just a, an incredible visual. And he just, that visual alone seems to hook people in. And uh, he just doesn't get enough treatment. Uh, you Preaching to the choir, buddy. <laughs> okay, so I brought you on to talk specifically about Dead Man. So let's hop into this particular story here. You want to go ahead and give us a quick recap? Yeah, sure. Dead Man hits about, well, he's past the staples in this one and he's 
right next to one of those junky, only in 1980s and previous comics with all the little slap happy ads all over the place, like comic book and Star Star Trek conventions and right, right now type ads and Charles Atlas type things. But facing that is a splash page of dead man staring into the gutter, standing on a uh, Soviet Union satellite. And you'll forgive me, I did not check the math on this one, but I'm thinking we're wrong right out of the gate. Uh, we can either pin it on the writer, Mike Barron, or on Deadman, Boston Brand, as being not particularly savvy when it comes to satellites. But it opens with now appearing 26 miles above the Earth. Thinking it has to be a little farther away than 26 miles if it's a satellite. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's where I'm at, too. But I, I seem to recall the Justice League satellite was a little farther away. Anyway, um... The story opens with Boston standing on a satellite, reflecting on where he's been in these huge, chunky caption boxes that predate caption boxes. This is an era, Action Comics Weekly comes from a time when thought balloons were still uh, functional, and caption boxes were used more as transitions. But in this case, Mike, writer Mike Barron uses the caption boxes to provide narration for the story. Um, and I should back up a second. This is written by Mike Barron, who would actually come back to do more Dead Man later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, drawn by Dan Jurgens as the penciler and inked by Tony D. Zuniga. Zuniga? Zuniga? We'll get letter on that one, I'm Zuniga, sure. Zuniga, maybe? I don't know. Uh, that's where I want to go. We'll go with that one. Zuniga. Uh, letters by Steve Haney and colors by Liz Barube who I've never heard of before or since, and edited by Barbara Randall, who would later become Barbara Castle. Castle, Kiesel, tomato, tomato. Anyway, so Dead Man's standing up on the satellite, and he's lamenting everything he's been through. And what he's been through is that Andy Helfer written four-issue series uh, that was drawn by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. And what Dead Man is thinking of here is the fact that he is no longer tied to Rama or uh, devoted to Rama, or trying to solve the mystery of who killed Dead Man. And now he's got to figure out what he wants to do with the rest of his life. As he notes here, there are 270 escaped criminals. He could spend time tracking them all down. Clearly that was barren sowing seeds for stories to come. Um, but as readers go along with this series, they'll notice that Baron's never going to get to all 278 criminals that are out there. So Dead Man takes a leap from the satellite. Being a ghost, he has no mass or weight, so he's able to get to where he wants to get whenever he wants to get there. And he goes into a plane that is headed, as we find out later, towards Belize. Now, that plane has two stooges in it, uh, Lewis and Barry. And in the lettering from uh, Steve Haney, there is pre-emoji emojis. Uh, As they're flying along, Barry is singing, or kind of sing-songing, Guns for drugs, hey oh, guns for drugs. And Lewis, who is actually flying, says, Barry, would you shut the <clears throat> bomb skull lightning bolt up? <laughs> You're going to wake up the section chief. Well, as it spins out th- over the course of the story, Dead Man has just flown into a plane that is headed towards Belize to do a guns for drug exchange under the auspices of the CIA. That's right, the Central Intelligence Agency is running. Uh, guns for drugs down to Belize. And as the story spins on, we find that there's maybe a little bit more to it, but it's certainly a conspiracy theory type of story. 
And uh, I'm not sure exactly what Baron's going for here, but it's definitely got some political tinge to it. Uh, so Dead Man goes to the back of the plane and takes a peek at the section chief. And as we come to learn of the section chief, her name is uh, Major Kasaba. And in Belize, they go to this Mayan temple. Uh, we're about five out of the eight pages into the section. At the Mayan temple, uh, Major Kasaba is having a, a run-in with Fulgencio Flores, who is from the Dakota Wesleyan University as a professor of ancient civilizations. So he's at this site studying the temple, but uh, Major Kasaba wants to set it up as a base of operations. Dead man doing what he does, kind of peeks in, walks around a little bit, gives uh, Jurgens and Dzniga a chance to uh, take it a little bit easy on the settings. There are several panels where the backgrounds are just flat-out color. Um, but it also, in being Dead Man and being able to just go where he wants, gives Jurgens and, and Dz... Golly, we're just going to call him Tony. <laughs> gives Jurgens and Tony a chance to, uh, to play around through space a little bit. Dead Man then remembers, oh yeah, those guys were bringing the guns in, they're flying the drugs out, I need to go take care of them. Uh, winds up bringing the, the guys to justice, having them land uh, in Florida. But before they land, they contact the authorities to have the air marshal standing by to arrest them. So, good job, dead man. Goes back to Belize and is shocked to see that Major Cassaba can see him. End of chapter one. What would you think? <laughs> well, it's, um, it's, it's a kind of a waffly dead man story. It wants to be a dead man story. It starts to be a dead man story. It forgets it's a dead man story. And then it comes back to being one. Um, all in the span of eight pages. I don't know that it needed to fill eight pages quite the way it did. But Baron's definitely going through some exposition here. The art, I was surprised when I checked the credit box that it was Dan Jurgens Because it looks nothing like Jurgens. I think it might be Tony. Tony Zinks. I think Tony Zinks are very heavy hand here. And as you get into later chapters of this installment, you'll see that uh, Jurgens starts to blossom through a little bit more. Plus, it's pretty early in Jurgens' career, relatively. True. So, uh, colors are, you know, typical colors, um, especially for this time. No, no really dynamic effects. Um, you know, as, as we touched on, Tony's inks are pretty heavy. Uh, so you get a lot of the kind of classic look. It's not quite Neil Adams-looking dead man. But it's not that far afield either. No, it's pretty close. It's not. A, it's not a jarring. It's not a jarring transition. No, if there were a house style for Dead Man, this would be pretty close to it. Yeah. Speaking of those Neil Adams trade, I, I would love to have those trades. I keep coming across them like on like InStockTrades.com, trying to, you know, grab a couple of them and put them in my cart, and I just, for whatever reason, I, I just don't pull the trigger, which is odd, because. <laughs> one of my favorite characters and i don't have those neil adams dead man trades but whatever <laughs> i've got, yeah, plenty I've got of a lot comics. of this stuff in different spots um you know reprints and whatnot and i'd, I'd love to find that pre-absolute absolute actually for sure i've seen it once i didn't buy it at the time and you know it's it's one of those white whales at this point yeah i i enjoy it. i mean we'll get into it when when uh we come back and and and, and cover the second part of this story but it's it's really it's really confusing t 
tonally. I mean, on on its on the nose, in terms of narration, in terms of art and everything, it's pretty straightforward. But in terms of storyline, you've got a ghost uh, who you're familiar with, you know, going on little adventures and so on, being involved in international politics at in, at the ruins of an ancient temple. Right. So it's like... It, it, but starting it, off space. Yes. Yes. So it's it's... It's totally shifting quite a lot. So you can't – as much as you know exactly what's happening, you you still can't place it, which is odd to me to be reading a comic, to understand all the words being said, but still having trouble placing the context. Right. It's like Baron had a bunch of ideas, put them down in a, in a notebook, came back to the notebook and just started writing from it, filling in spaces in between. Mm. And I'm not sure that Dead Man is the right character for it, but uh, – you know, he, he makes Dead Man work in certain spots, like having Lewis and Barry turn themselves in, essentially. Right. Um, and then the jaw-dropper of the last page of, well, Dead Man can actually be seen. You know, that gives some credence to putting Dead Man in here as opposed to any other character. Yeah, because it, that's that's always a, a good cliffhanger for somebody who's a Dead Man fan, you know. If right. a Dead Man is being seen, you're like, oh, wow, is this person magic based are they also a ghost is there something unique about this particular place like there isn't an end of parbat and so on and so forth right right so that's i mean for a dead man fan that's a it's a good cliffhanger and i guess they do a good enough job of explaining that he's a ghost and kind of what his history is so that the casual reader goes wait i thought he was a ghost well, how can he how can he be seen so i guess that's okay but i mean still it's still pretty confusing totally yeah and the whole uh, roster for Action Comics Weekly at this point is very uneven. I mean, I remember as a younger reader buying this issue pretty much specifically only for this Dead Man installment, and I'm not sure I stuck around much past 604. Really? Yeah. Now, you're the first person to tell me that so far that they've uh, uh, experienced this this as it came out, buying the issues. Um just so I just thought I'd ask what what was your experience with Action Comics Weekly as a whole because I have been trying to in forming this podcast I the whole reason I'm doing these the way I'm doing it is so that I can sort of personally get the experience of reading them issue by issue seeing if I'd be interested in the particular character concept storyline and seeing if if you know trying to mentally place myself in that time period, seeing if I would devote the funds, the limited funds I have to that story based on the stuff I did or did not enjoy. Right. And also to give the listener that same sort of experience. So it may not, you know, jive completely <laughs> flushly throughout, throughout the podcast, but at least it's, it's, it's trying to achieve that intended goal. So since you were actually picking it up as it came out, what was your, what was your thinking into deciding whether or not you buy the next issue? Well, at the time that it came out, I was not driving yet. So my my ability to purchase comics was dependent either on A, could I get to the local comic shop that was a few miles away, or B, was the comic available at the, well, at the convenience store that was just around the block. Um, at the time I had been, or leading up to this, John Byrne had been drawing action, and it was essentially... Uh, uh, DC Comics Presents kind of team up mm. up until about issue 600. And then 600 was the this dynamic celebration. Uh, I think it was Burns' last issue. Um, 
you know, there was, I, I don't have it in front of me, so I don't remember all of the pomp and circumstance that are contained in the cover, but I remember it being square bound uh, and had a, maybe a gold statue of Superman on the cover. And at that point, action was going to shift up and it was going to change over to this weekly and it was going to have different characters and it's going to have Superman and it's going to have Green Lantern and Dead Man. And I'm going, okay, well, I'll read Superman and I'll read Green Lantern and I'll read Dead Man. And it's going to have the Secret Six. And I couldn't have cared less about them. And Black Hawk, um, I seem to recall my dad saying something about Black Hawk. And this wild dog thing. Uh, so I remember picking up the first issue, and I honestly think I read, literally only read the Green Lantern, Dead Man, and Superman installments. I don't think I ever read any of the Secret Six in the issues that I picked up. And honestly, to this point, I still haven't, which is maybe criminal to say. Well, listen to the podcast, and you'll find out. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, and they're here now, so you know I may as well get to them at some point. But it's just been one of those things where Secret Six never really picked my interest. You know, despite the fact that I'm a big fan of Doom Patrol and Challengers of the Unknown and, you know, those kind of lesser fringe type concepts, seems like Secret Six should fit in my interests there, but they just never really grabbed my attention enough. And at the time, it was a buck fifty comic coming out every week. Right. You know, a buck fifty once a month, that was kind of tight because prestige comics at that point, if I remember correctly, were like a buck or a buck and a quarter. Your normal newsstand was in the 75 cent range, maybe a dollar. So you had to be very particular about what you had. And, you know, like I said, I wasn't driving, so I wasn't working. So it was whatever cash on hand I had. And I gave three or four issues. I very much remember buying 602, just based on the the Green Lantern George Perez cover, Mm. and being horribly disappointed by the Gil Kane art inside. (laughs) Now, keep in mind, frame of reference, buying it at the time, I think I was maybe 16. So, yeah, yeah, the the appreciation of the art came later for sure, for sure. But Perez was Perez had crisis going for him at that point, as far as I was concerned. So, well, when it comes when it comes to Gil Kane, you know, he's kind of like you know people like Jack Kirby. You know, they they don't understand when they're younger. Uh, it just doesn't click with them, and then they grow up and they sort of mature and their tastes mature, and you know, they themselves mature. And they, you know, start realizing, oh, I, I, I get the appeal, um, you know, as far, at least as far as Jack Kirby can, is concerned, you know, there's people that, that associate that same mentality with people like Gil Kane, and I'm, I'm of two minds about it for sure, you know, I, I've always appreciated Gil Kane because I can appreciate the context in which he was drawing, specifically the Silver Age stuff. When I see it, I can, I can, you know, mentally go, oh, this is the Silver Age. And right. sort of think of the limitations of the time and go, well, this is actually really good. And then, you know, you see him on a more modern comic and go, ah, oh, so, you know, just like a, a breath of fresh air, you know, having sort of a Silver Age feel in this modern comic. Kind of the same way I think it was a Green Lantern 19 uh, was an anniversary issue for Green Lantern where Martin O'Dell came back and did like a small story in that in that comic. Uh, so that was cool. But then you have people like Shag who just can't stand Gil Kane at all. And, you know, those are the people that just never really matured in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You might be right there. Yeah, Gil Kane to me was always, um, he was Adam artist. I, I met Gil Kane on the Sword of the Atom stuff. Yeah. You know, which um, was amazing. He, Green Lantern, was a little cleaner, maybe. Yes. A little sharper and not quite Gil Kane. So when I saw Gil Kane, I didn't realize at the time that I was buying this 
of the history there, you know, but looking back at it, this is amazing. What a great, great coup for Action Comics Weekly to bring this character and that creator back together. I, I, I thought so, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, as, as for this story, I only had kind of one other thing to ask you, because, you know, as we know, all these pages, all these stories are about, you know, six to eight pages uh, a pop. So it's not like we can spend any, you know, lengthy amount of time talking about these things, no matter how, much, how hard we try. But as a, I'm going to call you a dead man expert. I know you wouldn't call <laughs> yourself that. But I'm going to ask, to your remembrance, because I'm trying to pick my own brain here right now. Do you remember very many stories of Dead Man in space? No. See, I don't either. And I can't I kind of have a feeling like maybe he shouldn't be. And I don't mean just tonally like Dead Man is a ghost, uh, a human ghost, he should be doing stuff on Earth. Like just in general, like I don't think he should be allowed to be in space cuz I I don't know if it's if it's a comic I read a long time ago or maybe it was just an old book or so maybe it was a movie I saw. I, it could be really anything, but it's just a concept in the back of my mind that ghosts can't leave Earth. It makes sense. And there's actually there, there's a line in one of the future chapters that uh, we're not talking about right now where Deadman mentions that he had made a promise to keep protecting Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in a spot where space it becomes an option to him. So, But yeah. no, I, I don't remember much of him exploring space or even the concept of it you know and he would have been his his primary uh, excuse me his prime adventures would have been right during the thick of the space race yeah i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't mind like a maybe a mini series about it but i just i just i think it's for a dead man fan you open up this this comic and you said you you know part of the reason you bought 601 was for the dead man story in particular Mm-hmm. So you open the page and you get to the first page of the Dead Man story, and it's Dead Man in space on a Soviet satellite. So it's, I mean, right away it's getting somewhere where it's gonna. You can see political underpinnings coming up, and I, I don't know exactly what Baron's agenda was, but he certainly has one. I mean, it's it's definitely enjoyable. You you mentioned the art. I do enjoy the art uh, in particular. I do think in, uh, I do think Tony Nizaniga. Uh, and that's what I'm just gonna say, guys. If I'm wrong, correct me. You know, write on the Facebook page or, or on the on the website itself. Uh, and let me know. But or just make fun of the fact that I can't even say it. <laughs> yeah, it, throw me under the bus too while you're at it, guys, because I just <laughs> I, I don't really care. <laughs> I, as long as as long as proper credit is being given, and you know what I mean, it doesn't really matter the pronunciation. But I, I enjoy I, I do enjoy the art. I can see it, and I it's very recognizably dead man. Like you said, it's not Neil Adams. But there's nothing in particular about his dead man that I can point out as a flaw. Maybe he looks too, I don't want to say beefy, but more like there's more meat on his bones than I would expect. Uh, I don't, I, but I, I, that's, that's really a perspective thing. In particular, the, basically the splash page and the first panel where he's you know doing the gear up to leap off. He's almost too wide, if that makes any sense. Okay. Um, but I do believe uh, I think I think Jurgens would have been better served by a better inker. Now you mentioned that it was early in Jurgens' career, so it's possible that maybe blame can be sort of evenly distributed between both inker and penciler. But uh, I don't know. Just looking at it, I tend to think maybe the inks are a little more to blame than the pencils. The, the inks are definitely a little heavier than the pencils. I mean the. 
you know, if you were to strip it back to Jurgens pencils, I I don't know that we'd see anything recognizable as Dan Jurgens, or at least not as the Dan Jurgens we know today. Right. You know, and that comes in the form of cheekbones and uh, his kind of telltale anatomy and. Yeah. All right. Well, do you have anything else to say about this particular story? Uh, there are two other spots where uh, Haney goes into using the emojis that are pretty comical. So the pre-emoji emojis. And I imagine at this point they would have had to be done by hand. But there's a point where Lewis is shouting at Barry again. And he's saying, what the storm cloud swastika, I think it's footprints prohibition sign is going on. (laughs) So, you know, it's just kind of funny to see those pop up, you know, again, through the lens of time. I probably didn't think anything of them reading it of the moment. But looking back at it now. Yeah. Those were deliberately placed there. No cash sign, ampersand, pound sign. Right. It wouldn't have been a, a, a font choice. It would have they would have had to specifically go to that. Yeah, they don't really come through very well in my digital copies. To be fair, I do have every hard copy of Action Comics Weekly in my collection. They're just in long boxes that are stacked upon one another right now. <laughs> sure, sure. So if you have the digital, why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, oh, I mean, overall, I enjoyed it. I think as of, you know, trying to take it from the lens of a first-time reader, obviously, which you had the opportunity to do, being a Dead Man fan, I don't know that I would have read this and... I don't know if there's anything in particular in this in this particular story where I would have read this and and not been curious as to what happens next. Now, right. granted, I'm not overly thrilled with what's happening within the pages, but there's nothing in here that makes me go, "Oh, this isn't Dead Man. Screw this. I'm out." Right. The up, the upside to it too is, provided you get your hands on it, you only had to wait a week. True. True. But the downside is the cost. So. Right. So there's that. Um, so. Obviously, we're going to have you back for the for the, for the next time we, we talk about the next part of this story. So before we uh, uh, go to the go to break and come back to the next segment, where can people find you across the net? Oh gosh, uh, I am currently neglecting <laughs> tales of my greatest strange adventures and uh, my greatest adventures my greatest adventure eighty um, I am contributing to Comicosity both as a reader and a writer. Uh, as that there will be our few reviews already up there. There will be a couple non-review articles coming in fairly near future. Um, and then, as always, there's the glorious and soon-be-out-of-print Hawkman companion from Tomorrow's. Yeah, certainly pick that up while the picking up's still good there, guys. I uh, I probably need one of those. To be fair, I'm not much of a... Hmm, I don't know if I want to say that. Uh, I was gonna say I was gonna say I'm not much of a Hawkman fan, but that's not really true. I just don't have much experience with him in comics. I do enjoy the character, and I do believe he's gotten the raw end of the deal a lot of times in the past. Uh, and I do think trying to make sense of his convoluted history <laughs> is a uh, Herculean effort that I commend you for. <laughs> it was but, definitely uh, an effort, that's for sure. But to be fair, uh, although I haven't read the Hawkman Companion. The fact that it's put out by Tomorrow's Publishing is all I need yeah. to know. Tomorrow's is fantastic. Yes, I do have some of their uh, uh, Comic Book Chronicles hardcovers. Right. Some of the best things I've ever read in, in terms of comics. So Yeah, you can't, can't really go wrong with the Tomorrow's products. For sure. All right, guys. We are going to take a quick promotional break. And when we come back, Blackhawk. Doom Patrol. 
1963. Doom Patrol debut. My Greatest Adventure issue 80. 1964. My Greatest Adventure renamed Doom Patrol. Issue 85. 1968. Doom Patrol destroyed. Issue 121. 1976. The new Doom Patrol. Showcase 94. 1987. Doom Patrol Volume 2. Coverberg Lytle. 1989. Morrison and Case. Issue 19. 1993. Pollack. Issue 64. 2001. Doom Patrol Volume 3. Arcudi Hewitt. 2004. Doom Patrol Volume 4. Burn. Shush. 2009. Doom Patrol Volume 5. Giffen Clark. 2012. 2013? 2014? 2015? 2016? Waiting for Doom, the Doom Patrol podcast, because we're waiting. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Podbean.com. Shouldn't we go after them? I don't think we'll need to. guys and we are back from break and this time around as that random little audio clip (laughs) made you aware we're this time talking about blackhawk uh and i again am joined by another person here to talk with me about the particular character of their choosing alan middleton professor alan welcome alan great great to be here chad (laughs) i i I assume eventually this podcast will just be known as chad and his Amazing friends. Yeah. Or Chad and his adequate friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, so so for the first for the first segment, I've been asking everybody kind of the same thing. You know, it's 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 typical on the first episode of a podcast when you're bringing anybody on, you gotta ask. You know, what's your connection in history with comics and the comics industry, and and what's your particular connection with this particular group of characters? For me, this is one that I probably ran across in reprints first okay in uh, dc did a couple of hundred page super spectaculars 72 73 74 that had a black hawk story or two in them and my aunt and uncle's house in the summer they had a stack of about 100 150 books that i guess they went to the store one day and got and they got the the thick the 80 pagers the 100 pagers because you know they had lots of kids and relatives and cousins that they had to keep busy all summer mm-hmm. and uh so I'm, I'm sure that i mean that that's where i met adam strange and you know the dc the uh, in the uh dc superstar series and that's where i the batman family and all, all these great reprint titles and i'm sure that's where i ran into both black hawk and the black hawks yeah <laughs> uh and then i know a comic book buddy of mine in the in the 80s uh, 
had some of the issues from that version, from that from that revival as well. And then I even read some of the new 52 Blackhawks. Well, there was only some. I read, all of it. I read all of it, but let's not mention that, okay? <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> We're firmly ensconced in the 80s over here on this podcast. <laughs> so, so as listeners of this uh, this show will, uh, will have already heard, with the Secret Six... I didn't read anything. It was my one opportunity to go in completely cold on Secret Six. With Blackhawk, I know of Blackhawk and the Blackhawks. I know what era it is. I know it's essentially war comics. I know all of this, the, the sort of the basics. I saw them in Justice League, the animated series. So I figured with enough of an, an, an interest, what I would do is I'd scour the back issue bins. At, in Austin, there's a place here called uh, uh, Austin Books and Comics, and they have several different stores. They have their main store with all the trades and current issues and statues and toys and blah, blah, blah. They have another store called the Guzu Gallery, which is all the indie, crazy, anime, wow. cool stuff. And then next door to that, <laughs> they have Out- Outlaw Moon, which is – Outlaw Moon is all the games, so board games uh, – Card games, vintage toys, uh, all the stuff's in there. And then next door to that, they basically have this whole t- shopping center just all to themselves. So what I'm getting from this mm-hmm. is that the used books market is another area where everything's bigger in Texas? <laughs> exactly. And, and next door to that is the Sidekick store. And the Sidekick store has a plethora of dollar comics. Now, unfortunately, this is a little too rich for Professor Allen's blood, but... <laughs> Dollar comics and half off all trades, and the trades just line the walls, and discount action figures and statues, all kinds of things. So I went through the back issue bins and I found a couple of things of Blackhawk from the main run that was published, you know, up into the two hundreds in the numbers. I got two seventy one and two seventy two, and this is when Mark Evanier and Dan Spiegel were on the book. And I remember hearing Rob, and I believe it was Bailey, Michael Bailey, talking specifically about Blackhawk. And I remember this creator credit here as evidently being something of note. So I picked up those two issues, and I picked up the first two issues of the new format Blackhawk series from uh, 89, written by Martin Pascal and and Rich Burchett. And then I found an issue of Blackhawk from the original series. This is Blackhawk number 242, like there was a break in between publishing. And I read this just before Alan and I started recording, and this is an issue evidently, as I was going through the back issue bins of the Silver Age stuff of Blackhawk, evidently they went really, they got powers, I think, and they got these deep V-neck costumes, which I thought looked ridiculous on the cover. Yeah, I mean, at at, at some at, at various points in time, they've attempted to turn the team into superheroes, as okay. opposed to adventurer slash war, you know, war comics. So Blackhawk two forty two evidently is where they started a whole new direction and wiped out all of that. They completely destroyed <laughs> this base that was an acronym like George something. I, and again, like this is my only experience with these characters. I don't know what George is. I don't have any connection to that. If you're a Blackhawk fan, write in and let me know. But but this is where all that previous stuff with the Deep V costumes and the powers and everything was completely erased, and they went back to formula. And I realized reading these five issues 
And what I did was I read the stuff in Action Comics Weekly before I read these. So I could make sure that I'm getting a fresh take on this version of Action, the Action Comics Weekly version of Blackhawk. And then I read these. And then I realized, at least with these first these first few stories in Action Comics Weekly, what I was reading didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what we're going to do is cover a different type of Blackhawk story from just sort of a newcomer's perspective. And then you got Alan and his history. So Alan, why don't you take it from here and tell people this sort of brief synopsis of this first story in Action Comics 601. Right, Action Comics 601, Another Fine War, written by U.S. Air Force Staff Sergeant Mike Grell, with art by Rich Bur- Rick Burchett and Pablo Marcos, colored by Tom Zuko, lettered by Steve Haney, and edited by Mike Gold. We start with the joy of VJ Day, the end of World War II. But the soldiers knew that this piece, like every piece, was a temporary thing. The boredom lasted a whole year until French forces marched into Hanoi to secure for the French the newly formed nation of Vietnam. So by early 1947, the party was over. Things were back to normal. Well, almost normal. We start with Janos Prohaska, a.k.a. Black Hawk, in a bathtub in a hotel in Singapore, tended by a few... Lady friends, he is upset about the current state of comic strips, which, I don't know, grown men complaining about comics? Totally unrealistic, (laughs) if you ask me. Well, surrounded by beautiful women, that's actually the unrealistic part. Anyway, a mysterious blonde-haired woman arrives at the hotel asking to find the man called Blackhawk. At that moment, Zalecki bursts into the room holding a knife demanding the $10,000 that Prohaska owes him. By the way, as a finance professor, I want to point out that that is slightly over $100,000 in today's value. Hmm. I'm either going to take it out of your wallet, he says, or cut it out of your pants. But this is why Blackhawk is a tactical genius. Because he's not wearing any pants. But he does reach into the tub and whips out a gun that he had with him in the tub and shoots Zalecki in the hand. If only there were someone from Texas who could tell me how realistic this is. (laughs) Continued next week. Awesome. That was magical. I guess we're just lucky he grabbed the right gun. Hey, now. Hey, (laughs) Oh. Because I'm sure, I'm sure, being submerged in hot water for an extended period of time has no, no uh, effect whatsoever on a fine piece of uh, uh, of a handgun. I was about to say, you want to just let that trail <laughs> hey off? Now, hey now, <laughs> shrinkage, shrinkage. Uh, so, what can you tell me in the way of setup? Who is uh, Zalecki? Do, do we know of any storyline where he was gambling before we see him in the pages of Action Comics Weekly here? Not that I know of. Not that I know of. But this is an era of, and I think the boys over at Who's Who talked a little bit about this, that there's sort of this era of Blackhawk where he was sort of dissolute. 
and sort of couldn't get civilian life together. Mm-hmm. And I think this story is either beginning that trend or at least tapping into that, tapping into that fertile story, mm-hmm. uh, you know, story area. Now I, I'm a huge fan of Mike Grell, mm-hmm. both as a writer and an artist. So of course I'd, I'd always prefer him to do both. But I thought this was a good combo of, of his scripting and the Burchett Marcos art. Some really dynamic panel layouts uh, in here. And I, I love the opening few pages, which were all just a narrative. Right. The uh, three or four pages, which really, I think, set a really interesting tone for a war story. You know, it's, it's not exactly you know, triumphant and patriotic and you know independence day let's go have a march after this story right i i'm not an i'm not a, a war comics reader uh and it's not just because the it's not it's not just it's not just the format it's just i'm not a student of history and i i, clar- I, I clarify that by saying i when i started reading comics i really got into comics history about two or three years once i got into comics themselves because I had heard about the Comics Code and Frederick Wortham and all this stuff, and I wanted to find more. Um, so I've read several books on comics history now. Uh, and before that, my era of interest is 60s and 70s, but pop culture. So when it comes to the war side of things, because so much of it is firmly ensconced in actual factual information, it there's a part of my brain who's, I guess, still firmly ensconced in middle high school level that just shuts down when I start reading that stuff. <laughs> right. However, there's a lot of iconography in here, especially mm-hmm. that that image of the kiss. Yes. So it helps very, pull very me along. Well, yeah, very well uh, represented here. Yes. It helped pull me along, and I think it really helped because typically I don't like comics that have a lot of unused white space mm, right and in this case i think it helps help me be involved in the story because you know that's a very you know a very classic image but when you set it against a completely bl- blank background it pops even more exactly it really stands out yeah so and, and you, you've got the the, the picture of, you know, the soldiers and the little kid, and then you got the background of the, the, the planes and everything in the sky. You know, it's, it, just, it just worked uh, for, for me in terms of instead of focusing on the details of, uh, of a ship or a jungle or whatever, my eye is drawn to mm-hmm. not just the characters, but you can really tell that they put a lot of effort into the faces, like that yes. guy sitting in the dark yep. at the bar and... And all of that stuff. You're really supposed to be looking at their faces specifically in conjunction with where the story is going. So that's right. that's pretty cool. I enjoyed and, that. And I, I, you know, you're they're not really trying to lay out historical stuff here at the beginning. I mean, it it is in there, but I think maybe what what worked for you a little bit was that they were setting it really in an emotional tone. Yes, you get this. Victory. It starts with victory. It starts with the success, the joy, and then quickly you're back in this other. You know that doesn't last long. I mean, like peace doesn't last long. Right. Yeah. As 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 for Blackhawk himself, I mean, you've only got three pages of, of Blackhawk here. Right, right. So it's a it's 
and I ran into this, and I'm assuming we're, we'll be running into this throughout this series, but as far as when you're introducing a new story, specifically within the pages of Action Comics Weekly, the format doesn't necessarily lend itself to you going in and going, do I want to continue picking up this series at the price at the time that it cost mm-hmm. on a weekly basis? I mean, you, you, there's, there's, you, you do some, some basic math in your head. What percentage of these stories do I enjoy? And is it worth the cost weekly for me to pick these up? Right. And in the case of Secret Six, on that first story, no. <laughs> and in the case of Blackhawk, it's good. I'm not going to deny it's, it's good. But I know where it's going, at least right. for a couple of issues. Whereas this particular... If I'm looking at it with that that viewpoint, do I really care about the story? Yes, they have they have obviously set the scene, but I the story is titled Blackhawk, and are these three pages enough for me to care about the character of Blackhawk? I mean, they really put him in an interesting position, so you might be curious, but it, are you curious just because you're just you just want to see what happens, or do you actually care what happens to this character? Those are all questions I just kind of ask myself as I go along. Right, right. And as for as for Blackhawk himself, uh, I'm set about comics surrounded by beautiful Asian women and evidently complimented by the fact that $10,000 off of his body in that particular area or particular area <laughs> makes him square, which you said <laughs> is the equivalent of 100,000 today. So I mean, I'd be a little flattered. <laughs> he evidently has a reputation. <laughs> so, uh, so there's that. But I just, it's it's kind of hard being of, of two minds about it. And th- this is really why I'm doing this podcast in the way I'm doing it. A lot of people have suggested take chunks of stories and do an episode by chunk. Well, that's not how Action Comics Weekly right. was sure. experienced. Sure. So, and, and I. I you know, I, I wonder how many people are coming to this series with totally either, well, I'll say with, with no notion whatsoever who Blackhawk is, or with the commitment of knowing that it's an anthology book and, you know, there are four or five other stories in here. Are you going to give it up? If you really love the Green Lantern story and the dead man one intrigues you, hmm. is Blackhawk, you know, is, 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 is not getting to know Blackhawk enough going to keep you from buying 602? And I think with the weekly, I think you probably weren't going to get much drop off after the first issue. Yeah. You know, I think people may have given it a couple more issues than that before making that call. And in terms of the story, you know, you, you like you said, you, you don't get much action. You do get, you know, just the the majority of it is is a world building, we call it, or or scene setting. But at least it does end on a cliffhanger. You know, it ends with him shooting this guy in the hand, and these uh, events are coming together. That's true. I mean, it 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 helps. You know, and by now we've gotten to it. It helps that you've kind of ended on a note with Green Lantern where a major character has died <laughs> at the hands of another major character. And then, you know, for Deadman fans, the whole 
somebody can see me <laughs> aspect of, <laughs> uh, of things is always for a dead man fan to go, wait, is she magical? Is this place some sort of a zone where you, you know, so you're curious in that respect. So I guess that's true. Um, but I just I mean, don't. And, 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 and I'm just saying in general, you know, this is the first issue. So these were all going to be to be continued stories. True. True. It's just that I know when I st- when I had the idea, or not, I didn't, I didn't have the idea. Ryan Daly actually gave me the idea a long time ago, and it's like, well, I'll never have the time. Uh, and then it just sort of <laughs> percolated, and then started burning in the back of my mind. So thanks, Ryan. Um, but I've heard ne- negative things about Action Comics Weekly, and the reason, I just, I don't know why. Now, I understand that some of these stories aren't for everybody, but so far it seems fairly good for the time period. It's it, And I don't see the, the hate. Now, once once we get further along into stories, toward, especially towards the end of the series, like like Hero Hotline and you know things like that, maybe, maybe I'll start to see the overall picture. But the part of the reason I'm looking at it and going, would this have made me put it down at the time? Maybe people think of it negatively because they were buying those comics at the time, and it was just too much of an expense for them. So they just decided to, I don't know, turn their negative eye up to eleven. <laughs> well, of and, course, that's where I was going to go. Yeah. Say a dollar fifty a week <laughs> for a book. How much was that today? <laughs> <laughs> that's probably pretty close to three or four bucks. Which is what we're paying now for comics. So, so there's that. But I just I don't know. I, I I I'm I'm trying to go at it from a from several perspectives. A new reader just judging it based on content. Trying mentally to put myself in that time period with the limits of money I may have had and and all of that. Trying to decide if it's actually even worth it. And I'm, you know, right. It's it's kind of difficult. Do you have anything else to say about this particular storyline? No. No. All right. Well. Since this is going to go ahead and wrap up uh, this particular issue of Action Comics Weekly, uh, I'll be right back with some uh, just some closing uh, remarks since I don't have any listener feedback but just yet. But before I let you go, Alan, where can people find you across the Internet? We could be found at Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Those are the shows that uh, Emily and I do. And who's Emily? Emily is my awesome daughter. I know and that. Uh, do we just we have do, a uh, yes, we do a short box showcase, and I, as we have alluded to, do the quarter bin podcast where I talk about my favorite kind of comics, cheap comics. Of which there are plenty of back issues of Action Comics Weekly in there, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and 80s and especially the 90s, very well represented. <laughs> True. There's another podcast you do. Semi regularly, it's the one. It's no offense. It's the only one you guys do that I listen to. <laughs> that so. is our, our 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 side project, Dorkness to Light, Dorkness to Light where we talk about the religious, spiritual, theological connotations in in comic books and comic book characters and other other parts of pop culture. Awesome. And in a world where podcasts, especially in the fire and water community, uh, come out on a weekly basis, <laughs> you're fine coming out semi-regularly. I, I've got enough to keep, catch up with, but you better believe when a new new episode <laughs> of Darkness to Light shows up, it jumps we, to the top. We call it an occasional cast. <laughs> <laughs> 
The occasional cast. Well, Action Comics Weekly, the podcast, is going to be airing bi-weekly, so you guys figure that out. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> so, find Alan on, uh, on those spots across the internet, and we will take a quick break, and when we come back, some closing remarks. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Short Box Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter... I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. And this is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this is Ultra- Of how they spoke at length. Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember... We're not experts. We're just family. And guys, that's it for episode one of the Action Comics Weekly Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'd like to actually thank my guests one more time for agreeing to appear on the show and for their patience in waiting for the release of this endeavor. And speaking of patience, I'd also like to thank you, the listeners, I don't yet feel comfortable calling you fans, of this show. This show has been promised for several months now as I get things together, and the Facebook page I've set up has garnered 115 plus likes already, which is a relatively small amount, but for a podcast that hasn't aired yet, as a matter of fact, as I record this, the only thing available to you to consume is a promo. And yet over a hundred of you have taken steps towards following this show's progress. That's dedication and excitement, and I can't thank you enough for that. Now, in the future, this section of the show will be longer and be dedicated to your listener feedback. It's actually very important to me that you know that I appreciate your time and attention. So I want to make sure we set up a dialogue where I can hear and present your thoughts on the issues and content as we go. So if you'd like to contact the show, please like the Facebook page and leave a comment on the episode posts over there, or visit the website at actionweeklypodcast.wordpress.com and leave a comment there. You're also always welcome to follow me on Twitter at CageGnarly, that's at C-A-G-E-N-A-R-L-E-I-G-H, and please don't forget, if you're able... Leave a review for the show on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio.
I look forward to hearing back from you guys. I can't wait to do more of these shows and present more of this to you. And I hope, hope, hope that this first episode was enough to grab your attention and that uh, you really enjoyed it and actually that it was actually worth the wait in the first place. So thank you again for listening and I'll see you in two weeks. Yeah.